and I've been running, getting to the kick. Dog, you ain't a hundred, this a hundred. Let me demonstrate. If she ain't got brains, then I ain't trying to penetrate. And if you ain't a stand up need you, you could get your dinner ate. I ain't buying all that real shit. Dog, you benefit. Took her on a dinner date. Now we on the interstate. Might be a rookie in the game, but I've been a great. And we about autonomy, dog. We ain't trying to integrate. Man, we ain't tryna integrate Was broke back then, now the youngest seeing different kick We don't go off feelings, we just make sure that the bend is straight And if you ain't an intellect, then you can't get a penetrate Local Niji, now I'm getting love all in different states Got a Niji, if you ain't got scars, then you can't relate That was Integrate by John Bricks Welcome to On The Wake Up Radio You are now tuned into the Sovereign Creek Show We don't just discuss the problems, we offer the solutions I'm your host, J. Ali Shiamaru. Shout out to our producer, Cindy Ashby, for making this possible. If you haven't done so already, make sure you go and sign up for www.otw2.com so you can join our community of melanated Aboriginal content creators where your voice can be heard and you never have to worry about censorship. For today's episode of the Cyber Green Show, we take you on a trip down memory lane. On July 17, 1959, a dying, iconic jazz singer, Billie Holiday, was handcuffed to her New York Metropolitan Hospital bed for drug possession. The order was given by Federal Bureau of Narcotics Director Henry Anslinger, culminating in 20-year saga of harassing Miss Holiday after her frequent refusal to refrain from singing her iconic yet controversial song, Strange Fruit a song that was inspired by a poem which graphically described the lynching of black Americans. Three years prior to her death, the counterintelligence program, a.k.a. COINTELPRO, was established by FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. This covert operation was formulated for the purpose of surveilling, infiltrating, exposing, disrupting, misdirecting, discrediting, and or otherwise neutralizing the activities of political movements and especially their leaders. Some of the most prominent groups and individuals to be placed on their radar were Nation of Islam leaders Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X, civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr., Black Power Movement leader Stokely Carmichael, Black Panther Party leader Huey Newton, Bobby Seale, and Fred Hampton, as well as the Black Liberation Army's Asada Shakur. More on her later. During the 70s, another Black music icon was targeted by the U.S. government. On his deathbed, former CIA agent Bill Oxley confessed to gaining backstage access and gifting reggae music legend Bob Marley with a pair of Converse All-Stars that was carrying a nail exposed with cancer viruses and bacteria. After trying on the right shoes, Bob yelled a violent scream. As a result, he would eventually die following his diagnosis of malignant melanoma under his right toenail. On September 13th, 1996, Tupac Amaru Shakur died following his six-day fight at the University Medical Center of Southern Nevada Intensive Care Unit. He had been trying to recover from four gunshot wounds sustained 
by a drive-by shooting on Las Vegas Boulevard following a Bruce Seldon versus Mike Tyson fight at the MGM Grand. Following the fight, perhaps the more remembered fight transpired when someone in Tupac's entourage spotted Southside Compton Crip Orlando Bobby Lane Anderson in the hotel lobby. Anderson was responsible for recently attempting to snatch Tupac's death row medallion from around his neck at a nearby shopping mall. After the assault on Anderson, Tupac hopped in a BMW 750IL driven by death row CEO Suge Knight. At approximately 11.15 at a stoplight, a white late model Cadillac sedan pulled up alongside the passenger side occupied by Tupac and fired four shots. Tupac sustained injuries to the arm, thigh, and twice in the chest. Born into a family of revolutionaries, Tupac was ideally a target of the U.S. government from the very start, especially when you consider the significance of his last name. His mother, Afini, was a former Black Panther who married Matulu Shakur, a member of the Black Liberation Army when Tupac was four years old. Matulu and his sister-in-arms, Asada Shakur, were made public enemies of the state following alleged crimes involving law enforcement in various states such as New York and New Jersey. Indicted on RICO charges following a six-year stint of being at large, Matulu is currently serving a 60-year sentence at a federal prison. Following her escape from Clinton Correctional Facility for Women in 1979, Asada was granted political asylum in Cuba, where she has remained at large since 1984. In her self-entitled autobiography, Asada, she would describe the graphic details of her unlawful arrest, conviction, and eventual escape. If you had an opportunity to read her autobiography, it would be easy to see why giving Tupac Amaru Shakur the opportunity to use his music to inspire the next generation of revolutionaries wasn't an option for the FBI and their mission to identify and eliminate the next potential black messiah. On August 25th, 1967, a memo stated that no political activist or somebody with an ideology that was perceived as a threat to the establishment should have access to a mass communication media. It's this nigga named Nas, and he kicking with these niggas named Mob Deep, and they kicking with some niggas named Bad Boy. Bad Boy Chilla. But I say fuck them all. So I'm about yeah. to take this nigga beat and whoop his ass with his own motherfucking <laughs> See him making proposals full of verbal indecency When you meet me, flashlight of us What writing like us, got three strikes you got This last night's for thugs Over my position, my competition is never ready Rip like I'm the chef, my alias Machiavelli with the girl That's how we do I'm finger fucking with my diamonds Now people nigga climbing the charts Ain't no fear in my heart I represent it from the start Indeed, my mama raised me as a G from birth Be a hustling motherfucker till I seize my hurt Is it money you women the funny Take me alive, I'm 
getting high with my profile cocked on these suckers, time to die, even as a youngster, causing ruckus on the back of the bus, I was a fool all through high school, kicking up dust, but now I'm labeled as a troublemaker, who can you blame, smoking weed help me take away the pain, so I'm hopeless, rolling down the freeway, swerving, don't worry, I'm about to crash up on the curb, cause my business blurry, maybe if they try to understand me, what should I do, I had to feed my fucking family, what else could I do, I'm slanging with the homies, fuck hanging with them phonies in the club Got my mind, no danger, never been a stranger to homicide My city's full of gang bangers and drive-bys Why do we die at an early age? He was so young, but still a victim of the 12-gauge I die like a man, but live like a coward There's a ghetto up in heaven in this hours Black power is what we scream as we dream in the paranoid state And our fate is a lifetime I hate Dear mama, can you save me? And fuck of hip-hop was about freedom of expression. It was a cultural and commercially viable force. The following decade changed all that. What was once culturally artistic hip-hop soon morphed into a gangster rap era as we know it. Gangster rap with all its sexual imagery, especially concerning misogyny, use of profanity and glorification of violence and drug use was high desirable because it created a light community whose shared experiences forged important social bonds and relationships, embedded racism and the resultant social inequities, and of course, excessive alcohol and drug abuse that plagued the inner city black and Hispanic communities. Gangster rap at that time perpetuated deviant or criminal-like behavior that will become more than our collective memory and psyche for years to follow. It was here that music served as a principal catalyst for the development of a cultural contraction. In 1990, Jimmy Iovine co-founded Interscope Records with Ted Field as a $20 million joint venture between Warner Music Group's Atlantic Records, signing Tupac as his first hip-hop artist a year later. Death Row Records was then created in 1992 as an exclusive right distribution deal via the Interscope platform. In 1991, an alleged secret meeting in Los Angeles attended by record execs who were asked to sign confidentiality agreements and were told that many of their companies had invested in private prisons. They were given incentives to promote the criminalization of hip-hop. The objective was to use hip-hop to fill their newly invested private prisons. The commercialization of hip-hop influenced the generation of wannabe thugs and became a catalyst for the epidemic of the ever-growing private prison industrial complex. You must first understand the history of private prisons. 
A private prison is run by a corporation. That corporation's end goal is to profit from anything they deal in. In order to make money as a private prison, they receive a stipend from the government. A 113-page report released by the Corrections Accountability Project exposed over 3,100 corporations, including over 2,500 privately traded companies that profit from the United States prison system, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But against the party. Oh shit. You fucked that man. You'd have been two of America's most wanted in the same motherfucking place at the same motherfucking time. Y'all niggas about to feel this. Break out the champagne glasses and motherfucking comments. Yeah, some of those excerpts were from a uh documentary pitch that my wife and I produced for the American Black Film Festival a couple years ago and we looked to uh finish that particular project here in the imminent future. But today on the Sovereign Creed show, we welcome what was for, but uh, we uh, we want to give a shout out to the brother Professor, uh, also known as Quay Rushiamaru. Uh, he had a family emergency, so we definitely want to send uh, peace and blessings to him as well. And we are currently uh, waiting to see if we will have uh, the, the God Nico saying, but if we don't have those two gentlemen, we still will definitely uh, move along. We we have, I want to introduce uh, Job Ricks and P.D. Weesraw. We're going to discuss Tupac's legacy, the evolution of gangster rap, its everlasting impact on the culture, the private prison industrial complex, and the current state of hip-hop. For our first guest, we welcome back Job Ricks. Jai hails from the Brick City, Newark, New Jersey, hence his moniker. Jai is an Aboriginal MC, songwriter, and producer who has coined the slogan, Autonomy Over Equality. His music can be best described as a combination of something that can be banged in the club, but also teaches knowledge at the same time. If you've been following Sovereign Cree for a while, you should be familiar with him because his song, Integrate, is our intro. And then we have this album for our Aboriginal American. Damn girl, you do that thing damn well. I know you indigenous, what's your tribe? I can't tell. Are you Choctaw, Chickasaw, Cherokee? No interracial girl, only fuck with chicks that look like me. I like a long hair, melanated vibe. With no guidance, shorty, I'ma be your guide. Let me show you how to live. It's not enough to just survive and maybe have a couple. Man, if you haven't heard that joint yet, definitely go to uh, iTunes and check that one out. That's Feather Girl by Job Bricks. Our next guest is P.D. Weestraw. P.D. Weestraw is an Aboriginal Indigenous singer, songwriter, recording artist, and producer hailing from Chicago, Illinois. His artistic range expands to include a wide variety of standpoints and opinions, each portrayed through a different musical presentation. While his body of work falls under the broad umbrella of rap, he can also be classified as a reggae, hip-hop artist, and due to the varying elements in his music. His versatility, however, makes it difficult for him to be defined as belonging to one particular genre. His music touches upon important subjects such as religion, education, financial responsibility, and life in general. I'm a native all she, I'm a native all she, I'm a native, uh. Vibrate, I'm isolating, hiatus, occupation, doing it in moderation, simplify them complications, uh. Feel the vibe, that's confirmation Crown chakra in alignment Silver lining, I'm awakened 
Yes. So welcome, gentlemen. So first, I want to say thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. And I have tremendous respect for both of you, and I appreciate your commitment to your craft. So let's get into it with everything that we know about the complexity of Tupac Amaru Shakur. How do you feel he should be remembered? What's his legacy? Ja, I'm going to start with you, and then uh, PD, I will get your uh, perspective. What's up? What's up, man? Peace to the room. Peace to the gods and the goddesses. You already know, man. Thanks for having me on the episode, and, you know, we're going to get into it. Rest in peace to Tupac, man. You know, he left a very, very, very important legacy for our people, you know, and even, even from the whole standpoint of the gangster rap, to the whole revolution everything, you know what I'm saying? He intertwined them, and it all was him, and it all was authentic, so I really salute that. Um, but you said, so basically, uh, the question about his legacy and what the imprint that he left on us, I feel like um, some people look at him, and that's based off the media. They look at him as like a type of person that is like just heavy gangster rap, you know what I'm saying? Hit him up, you know, that era. You know, a lot of people look at him from that era. Even me growing up, you know, thug life, bandana, you know, all that type of shit. So when I so when I first came across him, that's the impression I had on him. But as I got older and I started to really look into some of his interviews, like some of the ones that you played on your page, and I started to look into, you know, some of the other songs like Changes and stuff like that, it really left a different impression on me about the type of person that he was. He was a revolutionary in every sense of the word, revolutionary. And, you know, for me personally, he inspired me to, you know, keep talking and send my message because they say he one of the greatest rappers of all time. And for him to be one of the greatest rappers of all time and the message that he carries about the system and things like that, that shows that he has music that's timeless. A lot of people make music that's just for the time, you know, uh, that's gonna get something popping down or just going to get something popping later. But what he did was he made music based off the conditions of that his people was in and that made it timeless. Thank you for that. Uh, PD, go ahead. Peace to the gods. Definitely, man. I, I definitely agree with you, Ja, about like the, the initial uh, the initial Outlook that you will have, um, it was excellent. The uh, description that y'all gave, I, I I agree with it. You know, the initial perception of Tupac was, you know, thug life, gangster, this guns, this, you know. But when you did dig deep into his intentions and his energy, you would definitely see he was going against the grain as far as the system concerned, and he had a a, a high vibration to to him. And um, he was portraying that in his music as well. And the image just was the uh, the thug part. And I believe his legacy was left through standing up for who you are, no matter what your image is and no matter who else you are, like whatever different energy you portray. Like he was thug life, he was this, he was that. But he was also on the high vibration of his going against the system and treating the everybody being, you know, equal and treated right and stuff like that. So I definitely commend them for leaving that energy amongst the real ones that's rough around the edges but still got a good heart, and it's just their appearance that may sway them one way or the other. That is an excellent point. 
Do not judge a book by its cover. Um, if Tupac and Biggie were in the prime of their careers today, how different would their music be? Josh, start with you. I feel like if they was in the prime of their careers nowadays, um, it would have been a lot of growth. Um, especially from Tupac. Like, I feel like Tupac would have evolved into, you know, probably Malcolm X, Martin Luther King's status in our community more than just an entertainer. I feel like he would have been one hell of an actor as well. You know what I'm saying? He probably would have been start making his own movies and directing things. I feel like um, nowadays with all the stuff that's going on, I feel like, you know, a lot of people that's in the mainstream, especially dealing with these Vs, these jabs, right? A lot of people in the mainstream, in the mainstream, they just like real quiet. They really on a hush, like you know, they don't really want to mess up no endorsements. They don't really want to speak to the people. But I feel like Tupac in this era, he he would have been one of them rappers that was going to speak to us and be real. I'm pretty sure he would have never pushed this uh vaccine and none of that on our people and stuff like that. And I just feel like he wanted the last dying breed. Um, Biggie, uh, I, Biggie would have been a legend too. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in this era. I feel like Biggie would have been a legend as far as like, you know, probably in the same breath as like Drake, how Drake is and the influence he has, you know, just his craft. You know what I'm saying? Tupac was more than just the craft. I feel like from a craft standpoint, Biggie would have been, you know, hit all of this. Like, you know, he would have been a legend from that standpoint. But I feel like Tupac, he would have been on a whole nother level as far as like um, revolutionaries and things of that nature. And I, and I also feel with him being a revolutionary in that time, if he was able to live and evolve and things of that nature, we probably would have like, you know, more autonomous like things going on with a person with that type of uh, influence and that type of money and that type of power, you know what I'm saying? And it would have been leading us more to a revolutionary type of sound in this modern day and this modern era. I'm glad you said that, God. And I also want you to know that uh, you mentioned Last of a Dying Breed. I'm actually having on the Last of a Dying Breed tank on right now. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. Great minds think a lot. Uh, and PD, I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Man, that's an excellent question to consider. If they were in the prime of their careers today, how different would the music be that's like mainstream or that's accepted? Like, I really think, I think it'd be, you know, all of these um, uh, tight pants, uh, rainbow people that's out here making this stuff. I really think that wouldn't be okay. Like, it'd be some realness still in the game that was some, some solidness still in the game that wouldn't okay that. Like, nah, that's not cool. Even though it's, like, for their financial gain or whatever, whatever. The content of the stuff that's on the radio, it'd be it'd be milder, and it'd be more attuned to to their, to their how they was coming, how, how Tupac and Biggie was coming. And Tupac was coming different than Biggie. Like, like Josh said, you know what I'm saying? Tupac, you know, he was a revolutionary so, like he would, he was already like had a lot of clout and people that tended to him, to, that that looked up to him and followed him, and that he influenced rather. That's a good word. That he had a lot of influence on a lot of people. So I, I believe the content of his music and the and the, and his character would just change a lot of a lot of what's cool in hip hop now. Like a lot of the trendy stuff that's cool, that's demasculizing the whole situation. It it wouldn't be that like Tupac would be the testosterone in the game. 
Oh yeah, I like that. I like that. I like that. Hey, uh, Jay, I wanted to ask you a question before you get to the uh, next question too. So, um, so me personally, I was two years old when Tupac died. You know, so I, everything I learned, I learned afterwards. But I know you was a teenager around the time of um, him coming up in uh, the '90s era. So I want to ask you from your perspective. What was the perspective that you had being a teenager? I know you're older now, but being a teenager at that time, in that moment, thug-like, you know what I'm saying? And I, I'm pretty sure you heard his music before, you know, uh, Me Against the World and all of them other albums as well. What What was the perspective that you had on him in them days and time? Yeah, that's an excellent question, God. Uh, so first of all, Let's take it back. So I'm, I'm 41 years old, born in 1980. Uh, his first album was released, uh, Tupacalypse Now, I want to say it was uh, early 92. So this is right around the time when uh, he was on the movie Jukes. And for a lot of people, that was their first introduction to Tupac was the character Bishop. And so when you watch this movie and you uh, see the fire and tenacity that he brought to that role. And uh, he actually embodied that in his music to a certain extent. And so when Tupacalypse Now was released, you know, we hear Brenda Got a Baby and, you know, those types of songs, we need to understand that his content, if you go back and listen to that album, it was extremely conscious. It was street savvy, but it was an extremely conscious album. You know, he didn't come out of the blocks with thug life and, and things of that nature. It was, it was a, it was a bit of a metamorphosis with him. With him. And uh, people need to understand how he got into the game in the first place. He was basically a hype man for Digital Underground, which is absolutely like, if you're familiar with Digital Underground music, it's, it's such a polarity that you would even think that Tupac would be affiliated with those guys. No disrespect, but they were like part of you. And Tupac was the complete opposite at that particular time. So he had his uh, feature on um, Around the World, the, the Around the World song, and they gave him his, his cameo, and that's what that was his introduction. And then he came with with uh, Tupac Lives Now, and the Juice movie was really, uh, really the Juice movie, I believe, was very uh, influential for him because that had a major impact on his persona from his music perspective. Had he not had that role, I'm not saying that Tupacalypse now wouldn't have had the same impact, but because of his notoriety from that particular role, that kind of uh, enhanced his presence. Then you fast forward to Strictly For My Niggas. So Strictly For My Niggas, I was living in Los Angeles, L.A. at the time. And I was back and forth between the Inland Empire in South Central L.A. where my grandparents were staying. And on the weekends, I would be in South Central L.A. where I used to live when I was young. But I would be back and forth from Mona, Claremont, back and forth to South Central L.A. So when that album dropped, it was complete opposite of a Tupacalist now. And so, you know, he had a lot of very, uh, I guess you could say racy songs, but it was very... Uh, um, What's the problem? You use testosterone before. It had more testosterone from a different perspective. And so you had the Cal, uh, the I Get Around, and, you know, uh, a few other songs on there, Keep Your Head Up, and 
And so it was it was a lot more street anthems on that particular album. And so you have to also understand, too, if you know the history of Tupac, understand that he was born in Harlem. He grew up and spent his early childhood in Harlem and then spent his adolescence in Baltimore. And I lived in Baltimore during the time that he was in Baltimore uh, from a... No, no, that's not true. Incorrect. He's... No. I, I moved there five years later after he had already left and went to California. But anyway, he was in... Baltimore during that time was extremely grimy. It was, a, it was a teenage capital of America. This is like 93. And so the the... The, his music was influenced by his surroundings, his environment. So it was a lot of, uh, he grew up around, like you said, the thugs. You know, his mother was, uh, you know, on drugs at a particular time. She had dealt with a lot of trauma. And if you've read Asada and you know the history of the Black Panthers and the history of the Black Liberation Army, you can understand that she saw a lot of shit. So by the time Tupac was coming of age, his mom had been through a lot. So she was just kind of, not really there for a few years. And so he basically raised himself running the streets. And so that influenced his music. He had a combination of the revolutionary, which I've heard you speak of. And uh, then he had the, the, uh, the great delivery. And so to wrap it up, it was the soundtrack of my life as a teenager. Having lived in, in, in both California and growing up sort of my teenage years, 13 to 18 in Baltimore, when they had the East Coast, West Coast beef, I was extremely conflicted because I rocked with all of it. I listened to, I listened to Bob Deep, Wu-Tang, Tupac. I was getting the too short and I got into all of it. So it was, it was, um, it was a surreal moment. But, um, yeah, well, we'll come back to that because I don't want to get yeah, on track. Yeah, yeah, you got you. You, 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 caught, you threw me a curveball. <laughs> nah, you good, Pippet. Let's, let, let's get it on. We go, we go top it up, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was taking me down memory lane. Okay, uh, next question. Let's see. How does a conscious artist like yourself navigate the space between mainstream promotion and connecting with his audience on a higher level? Let's start with you guys. Okay, so for me, being a conscious artist, um, First and foremost, if anyone thinking about, like, if I was to talk to anybody that was uh, contemplating on being a conscious artist, what I would tell them is that um, it's basically you creating your own lane and, you know, it's going to be a little bit more harder. You know, like, <clears throat> people who have integrity in this day and age, you know, they got to get stuff out the mud, you know and I'm saying? Versus other people who lack integrity and will do anything and sell out or a certain role or a certain money or whatever the case may be. People like that, you know, it's, they have a more easier lane. But what, what a person can't take away from you being a conscious artist or not is your work ethic. You are in control of that. You know, you're in control of putting your music in front of new people every day. You know what I'm saying? Regardless. And uh, for me personally, I don't mind not being mainstream. Like, you know, some people, that's what they want. They want that light. You know what I'm saying? They want to be a big star. Me, I'm more, I'm more into rocking with the people who rock with me. We build, you know what I'm saying? And we nation build. We build, we nation build. We uh, build certain infrastructures and things of that nature. We go into business together, just similar to like what we do in Arnhem. 
So um, the same thing, like the same mindset we have in Arnold where, you know, we rocking with who rocking with us at the end of the day. We not worry about who ain't rocking with us because who ain't rocking with you ain't going to put no money in your pocket at the end of the day. So some, some artists, they become conflicted because they want to appeal to a certain type of demographic or a certain type of people. Me, me personally, I don't mind um, navigating the conscious vibe, even though that may mean that I will never be mainstream as an artist. And, uh, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say that it's difficult either because, you know, if you know marketing, if you're very good at marketing and you uh, have an email list of your supporters and things of that nature, whenever it's time for you to do what you need to do as far as selling merch, dropping music or whatever the case may be, you tap into that community. And with that community, you know that community is genuine and you know the music that you make is going to be timeless music at the end of the day. So that's the reward that I see from it. And, um, you know, it's a it's a very, very tedious task to navigate from, you know, wanting to have a certain type of spotlight, but not be mainstream to where you got to make music that's self-destructional. And, you know, I love the lane that is in, though. So, you know, I navigate it very, very well. Yes, you do. <laughs> and, uh, Petey, I love to hear your perspective as well. Tenfo. Good question. Okay. So this how I do it. Um, okay, so I already know as it you like we already know, you know, the conscious you know, the conscious music people ain't gonna really take to, you know, the masses rather. So mainstream. So me personally, it's in it's in my DNA, like living, like being, you know, living in a high vibration world, you know what I'm saying, and applying what you learn. So how I take the music though I be understanding how society is. So I used to not be this way. You know what I'm saying? I ain't not, I wasn't have vibration a long time. Like I, I really just started, I'm a baby with it. You know, I've been doing it for a couple of years, but the rest of my life, you know, I was on a low frequency as like the majority of the society is. So I was making low frequency music, like, you know, money, cars, clothes, hoes, jewelry, you know what I'm saying? All that shit. So what I do now is, since I understand on a broader perspective, I zoomed out and can look down at this shit now. I know how to get in a dough or I know how to get their attention. I know what they like. I know what they want to hear. So that shit easy. And I'm good at everything. So what I do is I give them low vibrational music, which is money, cars, clothes, hoes, jewelry. You know what I'm saying? And in the cracks, I wedge in some sense, some knowledge, some wisdom. You know what I'm saying? Like, just drop one line or two lines. or And then the the real, like, I got, like, shit that's sitting on the shelf. Like, everything that I sent to you, J.I.L.E., is unreleased. Like, I ain't broke through the dough yet to even hit them with that type of um consciousness. You know what I'm saying? So whatever you like, oh, here go another conscious motherfucker. Like, no, nah, I'm one of these hood niggas that money cons, clothes, hoes. You know what I'm saying? All that jewelry. So I want to come in the dough like that. But if you if you dip back into my catalog, you will hear little inserts of, of knowledge and wisdom and sense and have vibration and divineness. You know what I'm saying? And then until it gets to the point where it's un, like I'm already in the dough in they face, and now I could just lay it on them like, huh? Be plant based, huh? Do this, huh? Do that, do this, do that. Like, and then be full with it, where I ain't got to worry about them trying to hold the dough not open. Like we in the dough. You know what I'm saying? I love the way you broke that down. That was I appreciate the uh I appreciate that. That was that was that was awesome. 
So, since you've made the transition to incorporating the truth about our Aboriginal history into your music, how has the reception been from the indigenous community compared to your original audience? Start with Ja, and then we'll go to you, Petey. So, um, when I first when I first uh, wanted to start talking about us being indigenous, um, you know, I basically I was like like bro said like when I first started making music, you know, it was low vibrational regular music like everybody else. So, um, you know, when I shift, it was like a shocker to a lot of people who been rocking with me. You know, what I'm saying who know me from my hometown and you know been rocking with my music because I've been doing music for a little hot minute. And, um, but the the reaction that I got from the indigenous community was nothing but love, was nothing but support. Like, you know what I'm saying? And it, it also, it makes me feel like it's family more than just people who rock with my music. Like, you know, they unconditionally, like, you know what I'm saying? Unconditionally rocking with my music, unconditionally rocking with everything that I'm putting out or whatever the case may be, because they're just excited that, you know, a lot of people can't listen. A lot of people in the indigenous community, they can't listen to too many artists and those artists can relate to the knowledge that they've become accustomed to. You know what I'm saying? Because the masses haven't been become accustomed to that certain type of knowledge. So the reaction is wonderful for them. But for, you know, my, like my regular audience, some people, they come to me and they be like, yo, um, I'm doing research on my family because of you. You know, some people, they come to me and be like, yo, I just found out what an aboriginal was because of you. Some people hit me up and be like, what is an aboriginal? You know what I'm saying? So it, it opens up a lot of uh, dialect and uh, stuff like that when they hit me up. They DMing me. They just telling me, like, yo, keep doing your thing or whatever. Plus, even if you're not really privy to the um, aboriginal, like, I have a lot of pan-African fans. You know what I'm saying? I have a lot of uh, just different type of conscious, you know, it's different lanes for this consciousness stuff. So I got all of those fans in the nip as well because I'm also preaching consciousness regardless you know what i'm saying and a part of my consciousness is me understanding my true knowledge itself which is us being aboriginal and there's some people in the conscious community that ain't even get to that level yet you know what i'm saying but they can still relate to the other things that i'm saying in my music you know besides that and how i and uh the other community like not the indigenous community but the other community how i uh you know connect with them is that i make sure them beats always knocking so you feel me that's how i do that damn thing Man, just love asking questions and getting these type of answers. You guys really have value to everything that we're doing here. I appreciate you. PD, your turn, buddy. Yes, uh, my pleasure, too, guys. You add value to us, too, man. We sharpen this steel and steel sharp. Like, we both steel sharpen each other. Shit, or is it iron sharpens iron? One of them. All that. <laughs> All that shit. Big facts, big, bro. <laughs> man. All right, so as far as, like, the normal, my, my regular fans or whatever, they ain't even, um, they ain't, they ain't even got hit with the, um, indigenous through the music yet because I ain't even released it to the public. I just put, like, a little snippet or two, you know, here and there, but it's been kind of, like, in a, in a cut, so, so I ain't even came with that knowledge. I just been dropping it here and there in little snippets, like, uh, one of the songs that I caught the guy, uh, Charles Burns in, I don't know his, uh, indigenous name. But at the summit, bro, with the whole feather uh, hairdress, that yeah, was... You, talk, you talking about uh, Ali Scott. Ali Scott. Yeah, that's the bro. We got him on last week with the family yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, he went crazy with that hairdress. Like, that was epic. 
and I'm glad I caught that footage. And I, I had dropped the album the day of the summit on the 20th called PD One of Slime, and um, and one of the songs called Tuck Em In, which is uh the song behind the video. You know what I'm saying? It said Ten Toes Standing with My Tribe we from America. So I ain't hit him with it all the way, but I hit it with him here and there. So they ain't even really got, to, I ain't even got to see their reaction because I ain't full-fledged laid it out on them. But the Tribe, though, when I was, and when I first met you and all the rest of the Tribe in April at uh, Hawaii, Dallas, it was amazing the, 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 like the energy that I got back from it, like man, it was like bro just said, like love, like at home, that's like family, like ooh, well you just snap with that. It wasn't like fans and like you know what I'm saying, just people to support the music. It was genuine connectedness and and you know what I'm saying. It felt so good. And up until now, like when whenever I share stuff with the tribe that's that's on this level, we're talking about what we do. You know what I'm saying? It's always received well from like Ken. And um, Kojo, you know, I, I done text them and you, you know what I'm saying, J.I. Lee, I done text y'all some certain things. And, yeah, y'all done always received it very well. And that's how all the tribe is versus the, you know what I'm saying, regular fans, regular people. Yo, all facts, bro. All facts. Like, it, it is unexplainable to love. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm from North New Jersey. And, you know, we was voted the most unfriendly city in the country, I think uh, probably like in 2016, we just voted the most unfriendly city. So, you know, when I walk around, it's all mean mugging, you know. So when I come around and trial, that genuine love, you feel what I'm saying? That, you know, it's just something unexplainable, man. And I salute everybody from the tribe, like, and everybody in the indigenous community, period. Like, for real, for real. Well, salute, 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 man. I appreciate y'all and... Uh, I told you my background. I consider myself to be a true hip hop head, and I have a very unique background because I already kind of give you the, the brief history on I me. Mean, I spent my early childhood in California. I spent my adolescence in Baltimore. Then I spent my large portion of my adult life in the Southeast, and like spent ten and a half years in the Atlanta, Georgia area. So I was present during each shift of hip-hop. I was in California when the West Coast had its run. I had, I was in the East Coast when the East Coast kind of took it back with the 90s hip-hop. I was in the South when the, the trap music became prominent. And so then I was in, I moved to California during, in the middle of Kendrick Lamar's run. So I've kind of had an opportunity to witness it all. And I want to tell you that I really commend the two of you taking the risk because I know it's not easy. You know, I was an actor. I know it's, it was just easy to go with the mainstream. But sometimes when you go against the grain of what's pain and step out on the limb and, and stay true to who you are and your artistry, that takes courage. And uh, sometimes you got to step out there not even knowing how you're going to be received. So I just want to commend you. Uh, you both for having the courage and PD. I know you you spoon feeding them, but let me tell you something. If they truly support you, they're going to support you throughout. And so don't even you don't even feel the need to, to spoon feed them. Right? Give it, give it, give it to them. I don't even want to give it to them in phases. But man, just you know, with everything that's going on, 
your your uh your position and your platform and your skill set is needed. So definitely uh feel free to to smack somebody upside the head and leave it. But we'll get into that later. I got my next question <laughs> that I wanna ask is um yes, knowing the history of COINTELPRO and their surveillance of influential hip hop MCs. Do you ever think about the potential consequences of creating music that informs, inspires, and influences our people to know the truth and fight for our liberation? I'm fearless. I'm fearless. Period. Not gonna live my life in fear. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's why I joined Arna and I equip myself with the necessary knowledge to understand how to protect ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Physically, spiritually, you know what I'm saying? From a law standpoint, you know, I equip myself with certain knowledge and I equip and, and I'm around certain people who are understanding we on the same frequency. And then another thing is, even if I didn't have access to all of that, I'm still going to be fearless with it, you know, because um, how I look at it is this. I look at it like, imagine you like, especially in Atlanta, imagine you on a highway, right? And you know how the traffic is in Atlanta, right? Imagine you on a highway and you got your own lane. Whether it's traffic or whether it's not traffic, you got your own lane. You could just ride that motherfucker and you just, you know what I'm saying, do what you do. That's how I look at, you know what I'm saying, me stepping into the knowledge and stepping into the music that I make now. Look at it like I'm driving in my own lane and whatever come with that, come with that. At the end of the day, we all got a day. You know what I'm saying? We all got a day. That's inevitable. But you know, if I die, I'd rather die fighting for something than to just, you know what I'm saying, be falling in line as a sheep any day. Like, you know what I'm saying? That, that ain't never been me from since I was young. All the way, I always went against the grain. I always asked my teacher questions, you know what I'm saying, to where I got suspended and kicked out of class for asking questions. And they tell me, no, they can't answer it to the end of the class. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, that's, that's how I always been, going against the grain, you know, because at the end of the day, um, one day I don't have children right now, but you know, one day I'm planning on having children and I want to bring my children up in a different world than what, than what we had to go through and what we had to see. You know what I'm saying? And, and in order for me to do that, I got to put in the necessary work to make that thing shift. I know it takes more than just, I know it takes more than just, you know, one individual, but like, you know, when I look at chief, I'm like, yo, look, look at, look, look at the impact of just one individual. You feel what I'm saying? So with that being said, you know, we all are individuals and we are all a part of the process of shifting what's going to happen. So uh, the mindset that I that I uh, that I equip every time I go into the studio, every time I do music is I always think about it from this standpoint. Be the change you want to see. Be the change you want to see. That's all that I keep inside of my head every time I do what I do. You know what I'm saying? If I if I sit there and I find myself complaining about the state of the music and all of that, I don't complain no more. Sit back and be like, you know what? Just be the change you want to see. So that's that's what I do, and that's the chip that I put on my shoulder every time I step into the booth, every time I write music, like every time I do anything that's uh, going towards uh, the liberation of our people. And I wouldn't rather do anything else different or none of that like you know what i'm saying because the liberation of my people is my purpose and that's just what it is can i say something before you go uh pd i have a question uh ja, how old are you i'm 27 
27 years old. And, you know, you look at Rich, Rich, Rich commemorating Tupac, who was the age of 25. And, Petey, how are you? I'm 30. So, for you, the, the two of you to have this perspective at this age, and I was kind of a late bloomer. I did a lot of different things. I've always been against the grain, but, you know, I came into, uh, I guess you could say, my godhood, you know, later in life. You know, when I found out I was going to be a father, I definitely wanted to tighten up. But for you guys to have this perspective and fully understand who you are and where you are currently, like your present, I just want to say that I, I really commend that. And you understand your platform. Now, PD, me, you and I have had an opportunity to build lately. Obviously, John, me and you have been building for some months now, but I just really want to, just want to, you know, salute y'all, man. I really, I really, uh, that's all I got to say. Go ahead, PD. Man, that's an excellent question. Um, man, I thought about it before, you know, previous, previously, years ago, you know, just ran across my man like, yeah, you know, I'm out here talking about, and this is before I even learned about who I was, and, and you know, so I was like, man, I'm out here speaking this and that. It's probably like, you know, that's who they target. They target us as making the change and, you know what I'm saying, influential. So I just really let that thought go. You know, it's like if I'm making that much noise to the where they want to take me out, then it's worth it. Like that means I done did something that I'm supposed to do. Like these people trying to, you know what I'm saying, do something to me. So now since I got a little older, I graduated that perspective to this perspective. I create my own reality at the end of the day and at the beginning of the day and in the middle of the day and all day. So it's nobody that could create my reality for me or vibrate for me or attract nothing to me, you know. So at the end of the day, I always keep a positive perspective and create my reality. And I'm I'm always front line anyway, you know, like with the message, it's like I'm me. Like it's not hard to see. So if if – that means I'm gaining attention. If if people trying to uh, affect me, you know, or any consequences, and the only consequences that I really came up with weren't were not dangerous or physically dangerous. It was like they'll try to keep me out of getting money. Like they're not, you know, like it'll just suppress the the marketing. Like they'll try to suppress the marketing or you know stop some Instagram pages or like that's that's about it. That's the only thing that I came up with. And if you worried about that, then it's just a financial thing. You know, the marketing and the views and the streams equate to the sales. So when I thought about that, I'm like, yeah, they'll try to stop the money. You know what I'm saying? They'll try to keep you in a specific, like a, a, a limit financially. Like the ones that's with that fuck shit, they, they, they up on top. You know what I'm saying? But the ones that ain't, they ain't really getting money like that. You know what I'm saying? To, from the outside looking in. So to combat that, we done, uh, we done been doing research on the 1099 OID process and how to balance your books with uh, the treasury to where HJR 192 ain't no money anyway. Everything is credit, so shit, everything is free. So fuck that little money. We gonna, you know, do our paperwork with the IRS every single year. And um, that's all we need. And we gonna get up, in the, get up in the dough because all it is is image. Like you get that image and then there you go. So with the money come protection and security, and then especially with this indigenous 
Cartomancy. I don't know how to say that word. Somebody help me out. Cartomancy. Cartomancy? Okay. Cartomancy. Okay. Yeah. With with that, you could definitely protect yourself, you know, from near, from in, the, in the future, from, you know, dangers or whatever. So i just been, like, not even thinking about it. They ain't even in my consciousness or awareness, like, any dangers from being conscious with my music, like, zero. Look, like Cam said and paid in full, people die every day, B. You feel me? It's a death wish on all of the hip-hop. You, you see how many hip-hop artists is dying. You feel what I'm saying? Just off the message they pushing. And they pushing the message they want them to push, and they still dying. So guess what? We going to die for this message. Period. Man, I love the, uh, I love it. Love the honesty. Back in the 90s, MCs like Tupac and Nas were heavily influenced by authors and philosophers. What are some of the books that you've read that have had the most impact on your life and influenced your music? What are you currently reading right now? John. So um, one of the books that had a very um, influence on my life, it don't got nothing to do with music, but uh, it was like, this was like a straight sh- paradigm shifting book for me. It was uh, the, the not, what is it called? The um, Carter G. Woodson, The Miseducation of the Negro. That book, you know, it just started to put me in a proper perspective of how the school system brainwashing us for real. You know what I'm saying? And, once I started to understand that, it put me in a perspective to where I realized that getting a degree and all of that type of stuff, like, you know, the American dream, how you're supposed to get a degree, uh, it's not really you getting a degree and being successful. It's really you being getting a degree in indoctrination. You know what I'm saying? So basically, you're going to be a puppet. So we got a system that oppress us. We got police officers that oppress us. We got uh, lawyers that oppress us. We got judges that oppress us. They all come through that school system and they all play a role in the oppression that was going on in the matrix. So that was one of the books that I came across and that really changed my mind. And then, you know, The Lost Aboriginal Heritage by Namataga Shiali, you already know, all his books, any... Any any of his books, you you know, you could go down the list of all his books, but you know, the Lost Aboriginal Heritage and the uh, book that I'm currently reading right now is the More the African and the Aboriginal book by uh, Namataga Ali, and that book is just putting me in another proper perspective at the moment. Thank you for that, John. PD, one of the uh, recent books that I that I read, it was about like uh, it was about 2020. Um, like December, right before I nationalized, or found out about Arna and all of that. Um, it's called Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. And um, it's by an artist named uh, Deepak Chopra. And that that book impacted my whole understanding of, of, uh, of things. You know, people, like when people manifest or want to create their reality and stuff like that, it's always the law of attraction, you know, and which that 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 is a law of the universe. It's a few different laws that you put into place to become successful. And um, that book really put me on game to uh, one of the laws called the law of detachment. Like uh, when you not looking for something, you find it. That's because you ain't looking for it. Like you got to detach from your goals in a way 
after you, you know, summon them up and, and request them and want them, you got to detach from them. It's like a law of the universe. And you look around your life, like you run into people you ain't thinking about, or maybe you thought about them the other day. But when you detach from something, it come easily. But when you're thinking about it and focused on it and want it a lot, it's like a blockage. So I say that book, um, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, uh, impacted my musical career as well. I actually did a whole album. Um, it was a yin and yang album, positive and the flip side. But it was a specific song on an album called If You Know You Know, the abbreviation I-Y-K-Y-K. It's called The Laws. And I uh, specifically talked about the laws of the universe, attachment, detachment, and so forth. But that's one of the books that I read, um, like, in my, my near past, like, recently. But one of the books I read now, I just uh, I just got it. It was probably, like, two days ago. And um, it was from some authors. It was from an author from Chicago. And um, her name is Marcy Cody. And um, she basically... The, the the name of the book is uh, 90 Ways to Age Vibrantly. And it gives you a lot of different practices to uh, slow down aging and um, live a healthier life and maintain your longevity in its body you know, as much as possible through stress reduction and grounding and meditation and things like that. That's the book that I'm reading currently now, and it's impacting my life, and it will surely, certainly, shortly impact my music. Excellent. Excellent, gentlemen. I was over here taking notes. You know, I'm a big uh, librarian, if you will. Hip hop. Uh, hold on, oh, I got. Go ahead. Uh, add, add this. Add this one uh, book to your uh, collection too. Then God, the uh, you probably read it though. The Tavistock of Institute of Human Relations. Oh, I have uh, not. Say it again. The uh, Tavistock Institute of Human Relations by John Coleman, shaping the moral, spiritual, cultural political and economic decline of the United States of America. And that's basically, uh, this book just go into detail about the propaganda and uh, World War One and all of that type of stuff and how all that thing played out. But yeah, oh, go, go ahead, bro. Right my alley there, buddy. Tavistock, got it. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Where are we? So, hip-hop morphed from an outlet of creative expression and artistry to a breeding ground for criminal activity and now has evolved or shall I say devolved into a cesspool of drug addiction, sexual confusion, dysfunctional behavior, violence, and the eventual destruction of our youth. I'm sure by now everyone has had an opportunity to see the photo that went viral about a week ago of a pregnant little devil boy X. You know, I call him little devil boy. How can hip hop survive when the product has literally turned into a circus? Start with you, John. At this moment, like I said, my slogan, autonomy over equality, period. We ain't trying to integrate. As long as we want validation on their platforms, they control the narrative. We got to understand that, period. Like, and there's no getting around that. As long as we want to be big on all of these platforms that they control, we want to be on MTV, we want to be on BET, we want to be on all of these things, then that's going to be the narrative that they pushing. So what we need to do is not only... Do we need, not only do us as artists need to take control and not sign today's labels, we need our own media companies 
You know, we need our own uh, television channels. You know, our own, all of these things that could get us away from being subjugated to whatever they're trying to push on their platforms. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I feel like that's going to be the only tangible solution to stop what's going on. As long as we, they control the platforms, we can't sit here and complain about what they show on their platforms. It's their platforms. You feel what I'm saying? It's, I, I, I see a lot of parents, they, they complain about what they're teaching the kids in school. Yeah, I have a problem with what they teaching the kids in school too, but it's their schools. You know what I'm saying? So with that being said, it's like, look, we got to control things from what we put out to how what platforms it go on you know what i'm saying and to the television that's being pushed out to the comic books to the cartoons if we don't control those things then it's going to always have a negative impact on our people regardless of all the attempts that we make you know what i'm saying especially when as we all can see they like the blackball um artists who have a positive message in the industry why are they able to blackball because the the, the, the record labels are in cahoots with the television channels, the MTVs, the this, the that, the radio stations, you know what I'm saying? So they're going to keep pumping, you know, the narrative. Just like just like the whole uh, COVID thing that's going on or whatever. There's people dying from the vaccines, all type of stuff going on, but they ain't going to put that stuff on their platforms. It's their platforms. Their platforms is always going to carry the narrative. So in order for us to want to change what's going on as far as hip-hop and all of the other things that we uh, show to our children, we got to take control of those things and we got to take ownership of those things. And that's just how I see it. 27, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't currently have this man's music in your iTunes, you are (laughs) missing out. PD. Peace, guys. Yeah, excellent explanation, y'all. Most definitely. And in my opinion, in my opinion, the game need a real nigga just like these other rappers portraying to be a real nigga. You know what I'm saying? But a real nigga like, oh, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Or or one that used to be in the streets and and could talk that street shit that lived it. And you don't know if he's still living it or not. But it need to be a real nigga that get these people attention. And just running the regular real niggas that's in the industry, you know, but independent, though, because when you do link up with these labels, they take control of your career and can, you know, what I'm saying tell you what to put out and release. And, you know, what I'm saying so they need a real nigga in the, in, the, in the game. And all it is, the Internet is is the Internet. It's all over the world. It just need a spark that get that gets sparked like, you know, fan base attention and quality music like oh this this one of them niggas like if if money bag yo or future just came out the blue like hey this shit fucked up do this do that meditate ground be indigenous get your status corrected blah 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 blah. like if somebody that's already got some status and got some momentum and they character that they playing in this in this game of this music shit come and and bust this shit open or if somebody new, because there's always some new artist that's gaining some new fame, you know, some new song all the time. It just needs to be somebody like me that's looked at like, oh, he do this, he do that, you know, he from here, I'm from Chicago, I've been here all the time, so you already know I have to get through this shit, so it ain't, I ain't got to say whatever. So to, to, to be a motherfucker that's respected, because the streets got to respect you first before... The worst, the rest of the world take to you. It's got to be like, unless the shit go viral, 
that's the internet thing but it got to be like the 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 lower community got to accept you you know what i'm saying you got to be coming in you got to be like a, a spy or some shit like a uh undercover or some shit you know what i'm saying like i'm just i just look like this like you think i'm all you know what i'm saying woo woo but i'm just you know i'm real i'm half vibrational but i know what i'm doing but it got to be something like that to come in and then make this shit cool it just got to be made cool like being like correcting your status that's cool like being plant-based that's cool grounding that's cool meditating that's cool learning your this this shit is cool this shit what real niggas do like it gotta be some face like that in the industry that's a real nigga like solid hold his nuts 10 toes down and then telling y'all that this shit is cool and and doing this shit and, and, and showing y'all that this shit is cool and be like man this is what real niggas do like like one of them that should have changed the whole game because then everybody could jump on that shit without being weird because the real a real nigga doing this shit so shit you know what i'm saying it'll pay the way for everybody to do this shit you know what i'm saying i love the way you articulated that pd because you're right we, we do need some reverse in- social engineering or reverse infiltrating or reminds me of that book the spook who sat by the door just about to say that you got to be on the inside in order to, and we need that on all levels, not just music. We need that on the political level. And we need that at the economic level, the social level, all of that. But you're absolutely correct. And uh, in reference to both of your statement regarding mainstream contracts, a 360 deal just basically ensures that you're a slave 360 ways. <laughs> because they're going to get their money off of everything you do. Think you're getting they're getting paid off of ideas you haven't thought of yet. Think about that for a second. You haven't even thought about it and they already capitalized. They own you. Just like these professional athletes who are in the NFL, 93% of the NFL is taking the jab, 100% of the Atlanta Falcons have taken the jab, ladies. I said it on on Instagram about a a month or so ago. I hope you're not really into these professional football players if you're single, because if you are, you better run. Because, you know, not really ladies in this room, but just ladies in general, whatever. Some of these ladies that think they're going to uh, run the same playbook with trapping these uneducated professional athletes, well, that's going to be... a bit counterproductive if they taking the jab because they've essentially been sterilized. But that's another uh, <laughs> it's another conversation. Let's get back on track. Uh, the next question so that we have to address is the other elephant in the room. And Ja, you and I have had this conversation several times, but I'm going to present it in another way. And I'm also going to give PD to chime in on it. The so-called hip-hop recording artists like Juvenile, Manny Fresh, Mia X, Boosie, Pastor Troy, Little Scrappy, Young Dro, and Youngbloods out here holding concerts to promote the vaccine to our people. What do we do with these coons? And before you answer that, many of us who were at the summit in Atlanta at the end of August uh, it was a flyer that was brought to my attention and there was a concert with pretty much all of these rappers that I just mentioned that uh, are 
Atlanta based. They were all on this flyer that was sponsored by the Atlanta city government to get our people in the Atlanta community to come out and take the vaccine. Like, exactly. So I was going to leave that one there. And uh, yeah, uh, Ja, I already know what you're going to say, but go ahead and uh, drop, drop your gems, God. Last time we talked, it was only two sellouts. God damn, you just named the <laughs> you just named the whole. I ain't even. I don't I, now. I gotta do research on everybody you just named. I ain't even know they was giving it up like that, man. But yo, you know how I feel about that is, man. You know what I'm saying I got a politically correct answer, and I got an unpolitically correct answer. You know what I'm saying? My unpolitically correct answer is they need they head on a stick. You feel me? But you know, that's neither here nor there. But um. On, on, on a serious note, though, I feel like we're going to always have casualties of war. And we got to accept that in this in this day and age, in this time. You know what I'm saying? Some people believe everything that the news say. Some people believe everything that their favorite artists say. People are idol worshipers. You know what I'm saying? And those idol worshipers, they're going to meet their demise by following these false prophets out here. You know what I'm saying? And that's just what it's going to be. And, you know, I mean, in a perfect world, I would like to save everyone, you know what I'm saying? But we understand what we're playing with right now. We're playing with something very, 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 very dangerous, you know. And what's dangerous about it is they, it's not that they force you, they convince you to self-harm yourself. You know what I'm saying? That's what's going on right now. So, you know... Ain't nobody putting no gun to your head, at least right now, at least right now. Ain't nobody putting a gun to your head and saying, you know, take this jab or whatever. But you ain't going to be able to work here if you don't take that jab. You ain't going to be able to go to this concert if you don't take that jab. You know what I'm saying? You ain't going to be able to go to your favorite restaurant if you don't take that jab. You know what I'm saying? You ain't going to be able to fly if you don't take that jab. You know, they just slowly but surely just peeling away them rights. You know what I'm saying? Slowly but surely. And then, you know, people, they got they left with making a decision. But, you know, you make that wrong decision and then that's going to either cost you your life. You know, right now, you know, back in the days, you know, we, we had a choice to either be conscious or be ignorant. And, you know, if you was ignorant for the most part, you, you still could live a okay, decent, regular life. We ain't in that time no more. We not in that time no more. Now we in the time where, look, one false move, that's your ass. One false move, your lineage gone. One false move, you can't create children no more. That's the time we live in right now. So with that being said, I have zero respect for any of those artists that's doing that or whatever the case may be. But at the same token, we got to understand that, yo, watch people and watch the motives that people do when it comes to getting the bag. When a person too heavily bag oriented, yeah, we know we need bread to live. I ain't saying that. You know what I'm saying? I love, you know, money, it, it, it makes life a whole lot easier. But when a person is just 100% bag-oriented to where there's no morals, you know what I'm saying? They can't, they can't fathom having morals for anything other than what can give them money. Those are very dangerous people. And it's unfortunately that the industry is filled with people who just in it for the bag. That's all they in it for is the bag. You know, that's why Boosie taught us it's a sleeves up movement and all that goofy shit. Yeah, it's for the bag. You, you know they pay him something. I don't, they, they probably ain't pay him much, but you know they paid him something. 
You know what I'm saying? So the things that people do for money, you got to watch that because those are the those are the sellouts right there. Because at the end of the day, I feel like they created money to take our land. But that's a whole nother conversation. So, you know, anybody that's willing to do whatever that they want to do for the bag, just be cautious of those people. But also understand that, you know, it's always going to be casualties of war. And right now, the reason why I choose to do music is because, yo, we got to wake up these babies because they are future. All these, you know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to convince no grown-ass person stuck in there. Yo, you're going to do what you do. You know what I'm saying? But these babies, that's the, you know, that's the main priority right now, or whatever the case may be. So we're going to do everything that we could do to, you know what I'm saying, try to save these babies. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. It's going to always be casualties of war. Damn skip. PD. Peace, guys. Man, big facts. Man. So I ain't know that shit, but I just learned it from right now. So it's fresh, man. All them people you named, they need help. You know what I'm saying? They need help, but but now for real, like this though, because all the people you named, they ain't popping. They career, they career pretty much needed a, a, a jump start. Like they battery died. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's still there, but you know, so they 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 all of them ain't popping. None of them popping. So Boosie, you know, he gotta, he gotta. I respect to him too, cause you know what I'm saying. Whatever you do, you do shit. But no respect for that shit, because that sellout shit for sure, for sure. Cause he know that shit fucked up. He ain't take that shit. He ain't giving that shit to his kids. But he promoting that that his fans that follow him that he that he got influence over do that shit. That's cause he he need it. You know what I'm saying? If you was if you was up, you wouldn't take that offer. Like you know. I'm sure he turned down contracts all the time in his career. He got a lengthy career. That's what artists do that all the time. We turn down shit all the time. Like, nah, I'm good. Or we good. You know what I'm saying? Like, that ain't they ain't paying enough, or I don't like that city, or that venue ain't got enough square feet, or anything. Like, we turn down shit all the time. So for them artists to advocate that shit, it goes to show the level of that that they career. They need a jump start, and they need some help from the system and fucked up way that they trying to get help. You know what I'm saying? They need that shit. And shit, really, that's that's really all I got to say. It's fucked up. We ain't even got to discuss that. We all know that shit fucked up. They know it's fucked up. I'm sure they, they ain't, none of them took that shit. I'm pretty sure. You know what I'm saying? The ones that did, they, they, that's probably, they, they way far. They, you already know, like, they probably goddamn, they GMOs by now. You know what I'm saying? So, it's just, they career, they need some help. They really need to come at a different angle, try some different marketing tactics or something, jumpstart their career because that wasn't the right move, you know what I'm saying? And it's fucked up. Like, shit, I ain't even gonna speak about that shit in my music because attention is is creativity in a quantum field. Like, what you put your attention on, it collapses that reality, so I don't have to speak about the bullshit. I'd rather not give my fans them ideas to start thinking about that shit, so I ain't gonna be anti this. Like, you can't be anti-nothing in the universe because you include that shit. It's all inclusive when you put your attention on it. So how I'm coming, that shit don't even exist in my realm. You know what I'm saying? I don't care what the media talking about, what nobody talking about. I ain't talking about that shit. I ain't thinking about it. And the the people that's fucking with me and living in my world through my music, they ain't heard about that shit. But as far as them niggas, they need help in their career. You know what I'm saying? Big facts. Big facts, and... Uh, I appreciate your response, and you are absolutely correct. And but I'll tell you guys who isn't taking the jab. That would be Master P and, and Ice Cube, because these gentlemen had 
uh, a certain level of financial education from the very beginning. You know, they were independent. They dictated their own career. They had autonomy. Well, maybe not as autonomy as maybe us, but more autonomy than these other artists. Um, I'm going to give you some my background. Um, I told you I lived in Atlanta for 10 and a half years. For about three to three and a half of those years, I was a bouncer and uh, a lot of different clubs that were uh, managed by AG Entertainment, like the Compounds, the Velvet Rooms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I used to see a lot of these people in the clubs. Um, I've seen Young Drove. Hell, when I was working on Peter Street back in like 2014, Pastor Troy was in there like literally almost every damn night because he lived, I think, in that community. Uh, I used to see... Uh, Young Bloods, seen them in person at, at, at clubs that I've bounced as well. My ex-girlfriend went to high school with Scrappy. So I've known about the things that Scrappy's been doing since he was literally in middle school. So I'm not really <laughs> surprised. And it's not, it's not a coincidence that these are all the same people that uh, have no financial savvy. That's why they have to take opportunities like loving hip-hop and because that's all they have. They have no education. And so they're, they're what I call uh, prostitutes because they prostitute themselves for financial gain. Uh, it's not about their craft. They're, they're, they're literally prostitutes. And whether or not they've taken it or haven't taken it, that's really irrelevant to me because they're still lost and they're, they're you know, they're on the wrong side of history. So I'm going to leave that one there. We're not going to spend too much time more time on, on, on those individuals. I don't want to give them a, that type of platform over here. I'd be remiss if I neglected to mention the recent announcement of the president, so-called president of the United States, the, the lesser of two evils, as all I heard this time last year, and his order for companies employing 100 employees or more to mandate the vaccine with all of the political propaganda constantly promoted by the mainstream news media that's literally divided families, mine included. How has this affected you personally and impacted your music? Well, PD, you kind of just answered that it didn't affect you at all because you don't talk about it. But I still would like to get you guys' perspective on this hypocrisy and bullshit start with you john you can either get woke or you can stay asleep no we at war they call it a truth hate speech all these false prophets really fake deep appealing to the unconscious folks because they sheep you know what i'm saying look bro it's like this he gonna do what he gonna do <laughs> Man, that shit was fire, bro. That shit was fire. <laughs> Look, they gonna do what they gonna do at the end of the day. Like, you know what I'm saying? You already know us personally. We knew they was trying to push for the mandates two years ago. You feel what I'm saying? With you know what I'm saying? So people who Freeze. are in the know, people are in the know. They already know that this was inevitable. This was gonna happen. You know, it's it's coming as a shock to some people, and you know what I'm saying that's unfortunate. But you know, I feel like you know. They on their last limb. If you look at if you look at the uh, likes, every every uh, COVID video I see on YouTube, they got hella dislikes and a little bit of likes. 
So with that being said, that's that's showing me just off that right there. They showing me that you know what I'm saying they they control the numbers, and you know. Uh, when we was young, they taught us that men lie, women lie, but numbers don't lie. But I don't agree with that. You know what I'm saying? Because if the men and the women creating the numbers, then numbers could lie as well. So we always got to keep that in our back of our heads. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so it, it's basically just, you know, desperation at this point. The things that he's doing, the mandates, the, you know what I'm saying? Uh, if you want to work here, you got to get mandated and this, that, and the third or whatever. It's like this, man. A lot of people going to do it because, you know, they got that they want to feed their family and their head. And, you know, I salute anybody that want to feed their family the best way that they know how. But, you know, right now in history, this is the most evident time of either autonomy or equality. Because if you want, if you still are the Negro that's searching for equality that you're never going to get. And the reason why you're never going to get it is because you're asking someone to grant you something. So if you're asking someone to grant you something, then that means that you're at the will of their permission. Period. Well, they also, they legally can't do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it ain't a, it, uh, most people, most people, they hire a lawyer. And they handle their problems. Most people, you know, they, they go to a doctor. They ask them about their health. And the doctors handle their problems. So a lot of people, health and freedom is in the hands of other strangers anyway. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. That, and that, that's just how most of the majority of the population is operating. So with that being said, you know, a lot of people going to feel like they're going to have to do what they got to do to feed their family. When really they ain't got to do none of that shit. It ain't legal. Like you said, it ain't, you know what I'm saying? It ain't what people think it is, but they're going to make it seem like that. And that's just um, some desperate stuff. So it's, right now we're going to see who weak and we're going to see who's strong. We're going to see who's going to put pressure on their ass and we're going to see who's just going to fall in line and comply whatever they're going to do or whatever the case may be. But on this side... In my life, you know, um, I just lost my father. Rest in peace to him. You know, it's like this. With family, you know, I love my family to death. But, you know, some of my family members, they took the jab. Some of my family members, they their Bible is the news. And, you know, I can't help that at the end of the day. So I only, I'm only responsible for what I got control over at the end of the day. So with that being said, like I said, there's always going to be casualties of war, my brother. Peace to you, my God. Peace to you. PD. Peace, guys. Big facts. Big facts today. Yeah, as far as the mandatory uh, jab concern, shit. In about December, January, and February, when I first nationalized, I was pushing the, the I was pushing it to people and having Zoom meetings and explaining it and teaching it and putting people on my jury so they could make the action. And so. If you don't, if, if if whoever done tapped into my close network, you know, done follow through, then they already afforded the contraindication. So, and I like it really don't exist because we, I, I'm protected anyway, and you know, but as far as them doing it mandatorily, well, because it was like a couple things where I had went and tried to get into the, a little bar like a couple days ago. And they was talking about cards and all that stuff, and I just walked right out, just kept flowing. So it was like it, it can put some uh, stagnation on your flow, if, if you know. And as far as that's concerned, man, like bro said, they desperate. Like shit, they super desperate. Um, it's about time to, to to start doing everything on our own.
you know, like uh, growing food first, you know. Um, so well, we don't have to even go into the establishments really, if if that's the the need. But since we got contraindication and protected, and that is suffice as our, you know, as our uh, green light, so to say, then it really don't exist at the same time. You know, it's kind of like either or. You know, it, it, it can if 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 uh if you don't have your contraindication, it can affect you. And just the state of the society is just like, man, it's, it's one of them times where you got to be a knower and you got to not sweat and not panic and just know that, you know, things are in alignment. And if you don't and if you haven't crossed the lines of safety, you know what I'm saying, which only we have, then, you know, it'll be some panic and sweat. And that's crazy to put that type of frequency in, in, a, um, in a lot of the public like the general, you know, country, like the whole, like everybody, you know. So it's kind of putting a low vibration on on everybody. But, you know, those that's protected, that's us, you know. Shout out to everything that fell into place and been connected to make that uh, reality manifested. You know, we in the clear and we, we, uh, we ain't manifesting that. We ain't collapsing that reality. So I just want to be thankful and, you know, Stay not paying attention to that shit. Great answer, God. And uh, in response to what you said earlier, uh, Jai or Jai, um, I was in California when they were getting rid of the uh, religious and philosophical exemptions. And you're absolutely correct. They were literally planning, uh, setting the, the chessboard up prior years prior to COVID, because all of this stuff is chest. All of this stuff is pre-planned years in advance. Uh, but not only, so they were looking at all of the, the states that, uh, well, the blue states or the uh, swing states that had the uh, the exemptions, I believe Colorado, I think there was a decision in Colorado that happened last year. There was a very controversial decision because it got rid of uh, religious Exemptions, and so you had a lot of people whose kids can no longer go to school if unless they were were vaccinated, and so that was a, that was a big deal. But like we say, that's a lot of these things don't really apply to us because first of all, we're not sending our kids to those <laughs> governmentally sanctioned, government sanctioned slave indoctrination institutions anyway. So moving along, I see that we have about twenty six more minutes here, or potentially more, but. Uh, I want to uh, get the rest of these uh, questions uh, answered. And I've asked this question to you, Ja, on our previous uh, interview that we conducted uh, a couple months ago, uh, or a month ago. So I'll pose it to you, PD. Who were your musical inspirations growing up, and who inspires you today? Excellent, excellent question. See, musical influence growing influences growing up. I was uh I was into battle rap a lot growing up. And um yeah, I was like a, a kind of battle rapper myself. And when I was conscious enough to enjoy music and create it myself, I say like I was a heavy Jada Kiss fan growing up, like his bars and like creativity and like cleverness 
Um, I was heavy on Jadakiss. Uh, when Eminem came about, I was heavy on Eminem just from the stories he was telling and the bars and the wordplay and all of that stuff. Uh, that was kind of like growing up, you know. I was, I was Jay Z, not so much. More so like uh, I was into like Joel Santana as well back then for a swag pretty much. Some bars too. And now I say one of my biggest musical influences like currently is Future. And he influenced like a lot of my music. I'm uh I'm tapped into him in a lot of different ways. And um he one of my biggest influences. Cause uh, when I start to, when I started to pay attention to, like first of all, you're a great artist, like artistically, you know what I'm saying, amazing artist, great, great work, great content, you know what I'm saying. And when I started to pay attention to him, like uh, some of the stuff he was saying that go over people's heads, you know, like how I input little conscious stuff. Close some, my bad, y'all. No, it's probably windy. Hopefully, it was much better. Um, when I used to tap into him, like certain words or bars that he would say, I noticed that he was conscious. You know what I'm saying? I noticed that he was conscious on the level of knowing that the system ain't what it is. And um, he said one line that uh, after I became conscious about the, the Department of Treasury and Federal Reserve scheme, he said one line and he said, uh, put up them M's, my Federal Reserve. And his record label called Free Bands. So I put a lot of things together and it, it led me to know that he conscious on the level of where he corrected his status or along the lines of that. You know what I'm saying? So it's a lot of different things that um that influence that future influences me through, you know what I'm saying, artistically and independently and as well as like knowing that the system like beating the system and getting up out of the system or you know, correcting your status in, the, in politically in the system, and um, that's pretty much outside of outside of future. I say Jay Z, uh, uh, another one currently, and that's due to his being independent, like his business strategic side of him. He he a real business like chess player with it, and at first I thought he was kind of like you know lost in the sauce with it with the uh lost in the uh, music industry sauce where they, you know, control his career to a certain extent. But since recently, I've noticed, like, him and his uh, queen, they they uh, release high-vibrational content. And um, aside from that, I just like his business strategy. And I believe that he became independent to a certain point that he can just hit, that they can just release high-vibrational stuff and uh, tell the truth about things and go back to their roots and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? And those two really the main influences currently, aside from myself, you know what I'm saying? But as far as somebody that somebody everybody know, it's about future and um and Jay Z. Thank you for that, P D. All right, moving along. Next question. So you often hear the phrase for the culture. Do it for the culture. Is the culture dead? And if so, how do we return the collective consciousness of the culture back to our music? Ja. 
um, I want to say the culture dead. I say, what is the culture? You got to have knowledge yourself to have culture. And uh, a lot of people don't have knowledge yourself. So you don't have knowledge yourself, then there ain't no culture present. Um, I don't I don't feel like it's dead, though. You know, I just feel like um, right now in the time that we in the history right now, culture is heavily influenced off propaganda. Mm-hmm. You know, heavily. So, you know, um, a lot of things that we may consider to be culture is really just propaganda, you know. But also, like, for example, our indigenous ancestors, they used to dice. Our indigenous ancestors, they used to crip walk. You feel what I'm saying? So some of this shit is embedded in us regardless. You feel what I'm saying? Whether they, whether, whether how they try to hide it or mask it or whatever the case may be, you know what I'm saying? It's DNA. That DNA is passed on. Now, we may lose it from a knowledge standpoint and an understanding standpoint, but it's always in us and it's always um, there to be enacted. It's always there to be enacted. So, you know, I don't feel like the culture is, I want, I want to call the culture dead, but, you know, I just say that right now, some people ain't really activate their DNA the way they need to be activating their DNA. Peace, D. I see uh, we're gonna uh, we're finishing up the interviews and then we're gonna open it up. Just keep us bear with me. Uh, peace, guys. Yeah, as far as the culture, yeah, it's pretty much just uh, marketing, you know, for the culture. It's like kind of Black Lives Matter for music, you know, like do it for the culture. Like, yeah, for the black culture, for the hip-hop culture, like, nah, it's just, like, you know, made up, like, just society, like, TV, you know what I'm saying? So, I don't even, uh, I ain't even heard that phrase in a minute. Like, I, like I'm, I'm glad people, um, well, they probably still using it. I just, like, gravitated away from it because it's definitely BS, you know what I'm saying? Just painted images of what they, what you, what, what TV said this shit is, you know what I'm saying? Excellent answer. It was it was kind of a rhetorical question. I just was, you know, <laughs> interested to hear your perspective. Um, 100 years from now, when your lineage carries on your legacy, how would you like to be remembered, starting with John? Either like like uh you know the um the interview that I reposted right and he was saying how Tupac he said how like you know what I'm saying even if he don't change he gonna spark the mind that change you know what I'm saying so I feel like a hundred years from now they gonna be I'm gonna be remembered my legacy gonna be remembered as that person that sparked the autonomous side of what we know as hip hop you know because at the end of the day this is a indigenous art form that we created in Turtle Island. Period. This is us. This is our culture. So, you know, a hundred years from now, that's what's going to be, you know, it's going to be, everything is going to be different than what we see it being right now due to the shift in knowledge, due to, you know, the shift in the ages, uh, shift into the age of Aquarius and all of these other factors that's going on. And, you know, I want to be the type of person that helped influence that shift because the shift is inevitable at the end of the day like you know the whole star prophecy book and you know how we got a, a, a new star in the solar system and all that so you know you know it's like uh when me and my like me and my bro was shocked when we be talking or whatever we always debate and our biggest debate be uh is it written 
or is it manifested? You know what I'm saying? And then we always come to the conclusion that it's a little bit of both. So what we do is we going to help make that shift happen at the end of the day, but it's really inevitable. I love that. Is it written or is it manifesting? I'm writing that down right now. PD. Oh, shit. 100 years from now. I like to be remembered as, as the one that that was always happy and always tended and always made it easier for people to be happy as well. Hundred years from now, I, I like to be remembered as the one that always put people up on some game. I always told somebody like, man, he always told me something better to help to help. You know what I'm saying? Something to put me up on some new game, some new hidden knowledge of occult secret, something like I like to be remembered as the one that always had fire music too. You know what I'm saying? And input it all both of those things being happy and and spreading, you know what I'm saying, wisdom in the music. You know what I'm saying? And and that's uh yeah, that's pretty much how I like to be remembered. Hundred years from now. Thank you for that. And now is the time, D, if you wanna come on up. Uh if anyone else has any questions or comments or Something they like to build on related to the topic. Now would be the time. Let me go ahead and uh, bring D back up. Anybody else? Feel free to come up. Peace, God. Peace, peace, God. peace to the going God. On. What up, though? It's been a minute, fellas. What's going on, man? It's good to hear from y'all, yo. Yeah, um, shit. I, I just, I, I, I didn't realize it was an interview when I came in. So my apologies for trying oh, to interrupt. No, no, no worries. No worries. <clears throat> go, go ahead. Yeah, I, just, I wanted to speak on the. Um, the culture question um, as to whether or not the culture was dead. Um, and to be honest with you, um, Jahi said a lot of what I was going to say, but I just wanted to add that, um, you know, as long as we're, uh, as, as, as long as we driving big wheels on our cars, as long as we got gold teeth, as long as we pouring uh, libations for our dead homies and all that, as long as we are, uh, 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 wearing locks, you know what I'm saying? All these different things. Like it's the culture is embedded in, in the genetic memory of our people. We can't even, we can't shake that shit. If we try, we see how long they've been trying to shake it. They can, we can't get the culture out of us. I think that the culture is not dead. The culture just been perverted. You know what I'm saying? To where, you know, mm-hmm. crip walking is crip walking now. You know what I'm saying? Twerking is twerking now. You know, it's not what it was initially intended to be. Um, but although it's been perverted and, you know, um, has become like a, uh, uh, it's like an amalgamation of all our most toxic remnants of post-traumatic slave syndrome or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, and that's, you know, that's just from the side of, you know, the, the trauma that's been, you know, passed just through the fucking, uh, you know, the genocide of the, of the Aboriginal people. I only use the post-traumatic slave syndrome as just the, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, a recognizable term as to how fucked up the minds of our people are. Um, but nevertheless, I just think that, you know, what we hear in our music and see in the videos and all of that type of shit, like we, what we consider ratchet, you know what I'm saying? And ghetto and all the rest of that shit. Like a lot of that really is just, you know, the indigenous culture bleeding through um, the perversion of, you know, the, the minds of the people. So, you know, I just wanted to add that to be honest with you, man. But I'm just, I'm here for some of the discussion, and you know, I fuck with y'all, man. Y'all know what it is, love. 
appreciate that, D. Do we have any? Uh, let me get, can we get some feminine energy up here? I know y'all ladies listen to music. I know I, I, I see I got people from Chicago down here in the group, New Jersey in the group, Maryland, D.C. in the group, Nebraska in the group. Yeah, I'll call y'all. I know who you are. Got Mississippi in the group. Come on up. I'm just going to start calling. You know what? I'm not even going to ask. Come on up here. Come on up here. We ain't got a couple more minutes. I want to hear some female energy. Come on up here. See, y'all going to just deny my invitation? Y'all don't want to say nothing? Oh. Goddesses. Okay, y'all might be preoccupied. I get it. I get it. I get it. Well, I'm just going to, you know, give my two cents then. Uh, yeah. Um, I want to go back to the Tupac discussion. Um, the more and more the research that I was doing, obviously for the documentary and obviously for this particular episode, it's clear as day that he was watched from the time that Afini was carrying him. Because we all know, we've, we've done the research, you know, the people up here, we've done the research on COVID Pro and lineages. We know they watch Malcolm X's family. They've had close eyes on Martin Luther King's family. You know, any uh, Khalid Muhammad and, you know, his son. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to get me started on that guy. But, uh... Man, bro. Yo, for <laughs> real. For real. <laughs> shit crazy. That's firm... that's so you right in your face how fucked up shit is, man. Yes. My bad. I am a firm believer that they watched Tupac to the extent that the very moment that he demonstrated interest for music, I wouldn't be surprised if people was just falling in his lap. I know for a fact that Jimmy Iovine was at that meeting. Well, I don't know for a fact. I have a strong hunch because everybody knows that secret meeting that we talked about and that we that we that we just was discussed during the the introduction. We pretty much can confirm that Jimmy Iovine was at that damn meeting about influencing hip hop because Jimmy Iovine, before he signed Tupac and before he managed uh, the distribution deal with Death Row. He wasn't making that type of music. Just look it up. He wasn't making that type of music. He signed. He signed with Jimmy Iovine later, right? Say that again. No, no, he, no. Nah, or, or from the root. No, Jimmy Iovine. He was the first person signed to Interscope Records. Tupac. Tupac. Oh, where? Oh, yes. damn. Ooh. Yes. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Facts. Facts. So he was. They had them under the wraps, if you will. It was almost like they, uh, it was, Jimmy Iovine was sent to him to be his fairy godfather, if you will. Fairy godfather, funny choice of words, right? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, was, it wasn't It was a coincidence that certain people influenced certain people's careers. And it wasn't a coincidence that Jimmy Iovine initially signed Tupac. He initially signed Suge Knight and uh, Dr. Dre to the the contract to distribute the Death Row records. And it's not a coincidence that Tupac eventually ended up at Death Row following his release. So what I'm saying is his music 
was watched closely and he had to walk that plank that duality of conscious versus street the streets and that that revolutionary you know mindset and how to tell the bridge that but he wasn't the only artist doing that we, we could look at nas you know look at you just go to the uh the illmatic album like one album one, one song he's 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 talking about you know, the things that he sees going on in the community and he's trying to drive knowledge. And the next minute he's talking about the tech on the dresser. You know what I mean? You look at Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang introduced many of people to the 5% nation because a lot of us weren't privy to that, that lingo, to the call each other gods and goddesses and knowledge of self, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? But check this out, though. But, you know, it wasn't, they weren't the first to speak of it because, you know, you had like, Rakim and Brand Nubian and you know Big Daddy Kane and all these New York MCs they was all part of the five percent but the, the lingo didn't become like mainstream mainstream until you saw Wu-Tang take it and just like take it to a whole nother level but what I'm saying is there was a lot of duality that was going on during the 90s where you had a lot of artists who kind of wanted to you know what Jay-Z talked about it on the uh the black album when he was like truthfully i like to rhyme like common sense and somebody filled in the rest he was just like but i made five mics i ain't been rhyming like i ain't been rhyming like true. common it's sense so, so true. Be told, I probably, uh, go ahead god go ahead i, I just come on still up so, let me, i got it it's still so truth be told i'll probably be lyrically tyler quietly truthfully i want to rhyme like common sense but i, but I did five, five mil I ain't been rhyming like common sense. That was exactly. a jab, but it was, you know. Mm. Yeah. It was food, but it was a jab. You know what I'm saying? I don't like when they play with the food because I don't want you to play with my food physically. Don't play with my food mentally either. Absolutely. Peace, God. Right. Man, thank you for coming, man. Absolutely. Peace, beloved. How y'all? My name is Trey. Anyway, uh, KK is just my uh, my company. is uh, Criminal Content Publishing. So if you see KK, that's just for my company. But my name is Trey. Uh, people call Some people call me Tahuti. Um, I just been given the green light that we got. We're not ending this twenty, not six minutes. We have till seven thirty or or eight thirty the Eastern time for anybody who wants to stick along because we just got some new new blood into the group. So I feel like we got some more building to do. Deke just came on late, so yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, I appreciate that perspective. You're absolutely correct. But uh, yeah, that duality, man. It was it was, you know, uh, like I told you. For those who um, just late joining us, I was talking about, you know, my background, my upbringing, why Tupac hit home for me uh, so much was because, you know, I just like Pac, who spent time on both coasts, you know, I spent my early childhood. Uh, I actually had two stints. We were back and forth. I had my early childhood in, like, South Central L.A. And then we moved to, like, Glen Burnie, Maryland for, like, two years. And we moved back to L.A. And we was uh, in the Inland Empire. But I was in South Central on the weekends at my grandparents' house. And so during that time, this is when, like, N.W.A. was prominent. Q went solo. Death Row came. And then you had your northern... California MCs, the two shorts and the E40. He had a lot of California was doing its thing. Cause but it, it, it took the torch from the the New York conscious hip hop, right? Because ah. the New York the New York conscious hip hop was really the 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 evolution of hip hop. And so once you started to get to the wordplay, once you uh went from the party 
music to the you know the the, the uh you know the, the stuff that was going on in the mid to early 80s and then you start getting into the lyricism with the 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 the, uh, the rock hymns and the uh uh what's my man big uh, daddy kane big daddy kane mm. and uh what was what's my other guy um he's kind of unsung he g rap yes uh, that's who i'm talking about yeah yes, cool him. g yeah yeah that's who i was it, i couldn't he, it, it was, was on the tip of my tongue it was yes, kane g rap kane g rapping um kane g rapping rock Kim was yes. there and some people had krs but uh yeah i guess you could say that like them that, that, that was the four who had that on lock right there like first four to me like i'm gonna say i'm, I'm gonna say if i could do it by the era the 70s Late, early 80s it was Kaz Melly Mel um Ram- I guess too. Uh, I mean I'm talking about rapping wise like uh unless I don't even think it mattered with okay well yeah you could say Grandmaster Flash because in that era the DJ was important it wasn't really about the MC so MCs wasn't really doing too much nah Kaz, I'm talking about the message I'm talking about Grandmaster Flash the message yeah I mean that's why I said Melly Mel because Melly Mel was oh got gotcha, you got gotcha, you got gotcha, you yeah, gotcha. yeah, so you got Melly Mel and Grandmaster Kaz I give them the utmost respect because they didn't have a model. And Kaz just recently said on Drink Champs, every single MC, rapper, whatever you call yourself, trace back to him. Because, yeah, you was rapping, but they was rapping about bigging up the DJ, bigging up the DJ. He was like the first one to, to, to brag about himself and then rhyme form like that. So that's when everybody else started doing it. So I say Kaz is the most important figure in rap history yeah cool her did the party but that was a he did parties so i mean that was a that was it wasn't a guarantee that it was going to do what it was going to do but Kaz tried to do this this is something that he tried to do it wasn't something that just happened because he'd been throwing parties it's just that night started something that we uh hold so dear right now so i mean I don't even. I can't even have a four. I just say it's it's, it's it's start with Kaz and Mel, and after that, okay, Kaz, Mel, Kumo D, and um, it's yours. Uh, uh, demonstrating, illustrating, instruction giving, adjective expert. Who's that? Um, Coca Rock. It's yours. So you got them four right there, and then you got. You know, I got to slide L in there, so you can't. I, I can't forget about L. Who Kaz? What's Kaz? What's Kaz rap name? Because I'm, you know, I'm taking notes. It's just Kaz. Grand Grandmaster Kaz. He from Grandmaster the Kaz. Yeah. Uh, he from the Cold Crush Brothers. And then you got Grandmaster Flash. Grandmaster Flash. The first Grandmaster was was from Brooklyn. Grandmaster Flower. And he was he was a beast with the DJ. Flash saw that and became Grandmaster Flash. He was from the Bronx. Kaz is from the Bronx too, but he said his name was his name was Casanova Fly. His name was Casanova Fly. So he was DJing with that and rhyming with that, I guess. But when he was DJing with that, he was uh, he said one time he was DJing, he was break, doing a break, one of the breaks that you cut fast. He said he just kept going. They just they never saying go faster, go faster, go faster, go faster. He said then after that they kept saying then they started saying grandmaster, a grandmaster, a grandmaster. He said and that day he became grandmaster Cass. Well, grandmaster Cass and over fly, but he shortened it because he said uh, grandmaster Flash had a crew, uh, a security crew called the Casanovas that would that would that would really you know what I'm saying they 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 I guess you could say did their job too well. So he was like, he ain't want to be 
mistaken for one of them and something happened to him. And his name is Casanova Fly. So they think he's going to be, okay, this is one of the Casanovas. So he said he just changed his name to, to just Cas. So he became Grandmaster Cas. So. I got a question for you, guy. KK, uh, where, how old are you? 41. Oh, we say amazing. Well, you're from New York, I, I presume, right? They're from Brooklyn. Brooklyn, okay. I want to know someone from the BK, your perspective growing up when you, know, you, you, you came up as a youngin during this era and you started to see what was going on with NWA and you saw Cube leave NWA and he had his solo career, had his success and then you, start, you see Dre and Snoop drop and then, then you saw that shift in the music and then you saw the the East Coast kind of New York scene come back with like Nas, Biggie, Wu Tang, and Mob Deep, and Jay, and, and all of that. Like, just give me your just give me your thoughts on what the uh, what was the vibe in New York during that shift? This is before the whole commercially manufactured East Coast West Coast beat bullshit. But I'm just mean just just from the pure love of music. Like, what was the vibe? With you and your partners growing up during that we, shit, we ain't really um, we ain't really fuck with that West Coast shit too tough. We fuck with Q. I mean, we fucked with NWA when it first came out because they was cussing so hard. Niggas was eight and nine years old. That was the heaviest shit in the world. Like watching Raw, watching Eddie Murphy. Listen, like we had Eddie Murphy records, Richard Pryor records, and for some reason, you put that shit on and you got my attention. These niggas was doing the Eddie Murphy and the Richard Pryor to rap. Even to the point where they were using samples from some of their stuff. The world's biggest dick. That's um, Aunt Esther stand up. Because we had an Aunt Esther stand up too. And she says, the world's biggest dick. So, I mean, I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, shit, my mother got that. So, I mean, I kind of fucked with that because of that and because of the, it was basically because of the cussing. But Q, once I got a little older and I started to appreciate lyricism, Q was, I realized that Q was nice. Q was actually in my top. Swing. Not my top. No, Cube was in my top ten. Cube was in my top ten. Oh, absolutely. So um, like, cause I appreciate all that. A bitch is a bitch. I ain't the one. I was a little nigga walking around. I ain't the one. The one that get played like a poop. But man, I was playing. I was like, what are you saying? Like that's end up. Hey, my brother got that Ice Cube. Then it's it's the nigga you love to hate. Fuck you, Ice Cube. K bitch, bitch was the one. That did, uh, all, especially all of the earlier ones. Cube got yeah, out of yeah. himself. Cube got out of himself and started fucking with the guy uh, uh, Khalid Abdul Muhammad hard body. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like that was his man, his man. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but my thing is, the West Coast really blew up because of BET and MTV. Well, BET rather. MTV won't play our shit, so we got BET. And they started out with the East Coast, all the little East Coast uh, joints. The uh, we had video music box though, but um, but the uh, the West Coast was on cable, so they got to be all across. We ain't give a fuck because we had the radios on Smash. You know what I'm saying? But the West Coast had the, they had the videos, and they had the videos all the way up until Diddy came. You know what I'm saying? So once Diddy came, that changed the whole perspective of things. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I give Diddy so much credit, even though he, he a lot of people say he foul, not the best or the coolest or none of that, but I give him his props for changing the game. Oh, who, who, who are you talking about? Diddy. 
Oh, Diddy, gotcha. He commercialized. Uh, he commercialized the New York. I'm just talking. About yeah, he, he commercialized. Uh, he, he commercialized the underground. Cause Biggie was underground. Biggie was raw. Biggie was a battle rapper. Like his first, you seen him battling a nigga on full in street. Like he was battling niggas. Like he was. That's what he did. And then when he got with with Big with, with Puff, he was like, "Yo, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna have you. I'm gonna change your whole shit up." Puff was working with Heavy D, so he took with just all the shit that he did with Heavy D, and just did that shit with Big. Cause he was like, shit, they had me as a do a doja basically when it came to heavy D, but this gonna be my artist. So I got a fat nigga. I know how to I know how to grow a fat nigga. And I'm gonna make them I'm gonna make them say, I don't give a fuck what he look like. I'm gonna have his swag on a million on top of what because I mean, yeah, that a lot of that come from what he had personally. But Puff took that and 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 did his thing with it and put Big in front of the world. You know what I'm saying? Like Big got on the track with the goat, the literal goat, the first goat. Before everybody else started saying it was the goat, he got on the, the track with the goat and burned him down. You understand? So I mean, that was the first emergence, the reemergence of New York rap. You know what I'm saying? Because Nas, if we would have kept with Nas, then we still would have had control of the radio. But Big was doing the same thing that Nas was doing, but in a, a glamorized way to make the world say, I want to see that and I want to do that. And they stopped fucking with the West Coast. That's why it seemed like the West Coast always had a a sense of, like all of the West Coast rappers always had a, a bit of angst about them. You know what I'm saying? There's always that gangster mad shit. Like, why are you so mad? Let's have fun. Until like niggas like uh, E-40 and too short and them came out. Well, too short been out, but it wasn't a handful of the majority of the West Coast niggas was on that angry gangster shit. So, and that was new to the world. So we gravitated to it, but then we big and them pushed it back into perspective. And New York came back for a little bit. Then you you, you are here for the the beginning. This this, this actually this started off as a um, an interview. And we were we did a, we, we did a, um, a montage talking about the the evolution of hip hop and how it uh, transitioned from the conscious that you were just referring to and uh, to the uh, the gangster rap. And uh, we also talked about that was, the that social. Was that was, yeah, we talked about the social engineering you know. of hip hop and how the private prison industrial complex became the ultimate objective and how the record exec shifted from not wanting to market on a mass scale hip hop to now they're trying to market this gangster rap because it was going to influence certain behavior. So well, you kind of fear the black messiah complex. That's what that is. Exactly. Let's talk, talk about it. Yeah, yeah. We talked about the COINTELPRO and we, uh, we also discussed that uh, Tupac, because of his background and his family that he was born into, his family of revolutionaries, his mother, former Black Panther, his biological father, former Black Panther, his stepfather, Matulu, Black Liberation Army, his godmother, Black Liberation Army, Asada. So that last name, Shakur, think about it. You're born into the world with the last name Shakur and you're affiliated with that family. You're going to be on the radar, even when you're a little kid. 
Now, even when he was, you know, most people didn't know he was the government. I guarantee you, they were aware of him. And when uh, they had that meeting that took place in uh, the Hollywood Hills with all of the record execs, when they basically were all forced to sign the non-disclosure or leave the the, the pause, 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 pause. And I don't mean to uh, really, really cut your wisdom, but. Uh, he said, born with the name Shakur. It just hit me that he was actually born. Uh, I'm sorry, he was Leroy the same. Changed this Shakur, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, you good, though, brother. You good, though. No, no, you're right. No, you're right. I, was, I, I, miss, I misspoke. Uh, I appreciate Leroy, you, bro. What's his name? Uh, LaShawn Crooks. LaShawn Crooks. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's it. That's it. And then he changed to Shakur when his mother married Matula when he was four. Yes. Thank you. Now, if I speak out of pocket, it's all. Now, you good, brother? You good now? It's iron. No, it's iron sharp as iron. I I love this. I love this, man. All good. But yeah, what I was saying was uh, basically, when you look at. We just look at history. You look at who this lesser of two evil, crazy ass, funny president. And you go back in time and you, and you think about the timetable and Bush, the, the original Bush president, and you go into the Clinton era and, you know, how the, the mark, mass marketing, when he goes on the Arsenio Hall show with the sunglasses playing, playing the game, saxophone and all the, the, the I just thought about is. that. Yeah, go ahead. Same shit his wife did on The Breakfast Club with the hot sauce. Exactly. They use the same blueprint. They just recycle. <laughs> we just got to study history because a lot of the things that are going on now, we've seen it before. It's just we're not paying attention. So we have to like begin to pay attention. It's the same playbook. It's the same blueprint. Like, like for instance, like for me, like I lived in L.A. during the, 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 the riots. I was there for that. Okay. I was I was there I was at the Million Man March in '95 when I first saw Farrakhan up on the podium in D.C. and uh, we got home we, we took the the, the the train ride from Baltimore to D.C. and all you heard when we got back on the evening news when they was trying to Dan Rather and all these evening news people anchors were trying to downplay the amount of people that attended I don't know if anyone in this room has been to Washington D.C. but let me tell you this. I was in the 10th grade. I was old enough and smart enough and coherent enough to know when there's a lot of people behind me. I remember getting there at 7 a.m. 7 a.m. we got there around that time and the, the grass in front of the Capitol building, there was a lot of grass, right? By the time the first speaker got on the podium, I guarantee you, when I look back, there was you couldn't see a, a crevice of grass. All you saw was a sea of black faces. It's the most black people I've ever been around at one moment. That's when I was 15 years old. It was, it was. So I, I can't guarantee you there was a million, but I know it was more than the 200,000 that they tried to. Uh, what the Million Man March? The original in '95, yes. I went to the I went to the one in um 2015. I didn't go to that one. How was that? It was live, man. We was deep out there. Yeah, but uh, it's it's just crazy. It's just like we uh we look at these events in history, and when it's happening in real time, 
we don't realize that this has already happened before. You know, I'm sure most of the people up here have read uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, even though, you know, it's some bullshit because, you know, Alex Haley didn't publish the, the book that Malcolm intended. That's another story. But even within the, the book, and Malcolm was describing the behavior of, I guess you would call it Negro peeing people, people moving from the South, the Jim Crow South to the North in search of, of something better and trying to assimilate in with white people and trying to act like white people, the slick back hair with the conch and all that. It's no different than, uh, I see, you know, the weave or people trying to emulate Eurocentric behavior, you know, trying to make themselves have Eurocentric features, trying to bleach their skin, uh, use filters to make themselves look lighter in pictures. It's the same behavior. But Malcolm is talking about this in the late 30s and the early 40s. And it's like, if you haven't read it in a while, like, go back and read it. and Go read that chapter before he goes to prison where he's talking about just the behavior that he would see in Harlem. I mean, it's the shit is like insane. You know what I mean? It's like, it's the same behavior. You talk about everything he was talking, we fast forward to the 60s. You know, last year with the election year, he was talking about, you know, all of the things that we see, uh, how... Leaders are, are are given to us for a reason because you know they're they're subsidized by you know white supremacists and eugenicists and stuff like that. It's the same thing with these hip hop artists, Little Devil X Boy. And yeah, and that's what killed me. What killed me is that why is uh, like when I do history on all that stuff, why is the same thing happening now that they was talking about all the way back then? Same thing. You want to know why? One word. Boule. Mm, Yeah. People in this room, I'm sure you probably heard that word. If you really want to really know about that word, go get up on Steve Coakley. The guy, the late Steve Coakley's teachings and his his, his lectures on the boule. And, and I know, I think you, you mentioned the, the miseducation of the Negro earlier. The yeah. Reason why, the reason why he was could be so truthful and descriptive about what was going on with the miseducation was because he was a part of it. Yeah, he was he was a boule, right? Yeah, W.E.B. Du Bois was a part of that shit, too. And so what happens is it's the same thing. You have this, the coon, who's doing the bidding for the white man. And the moment he gets shitted on, now he gets consciousness and now he wants to, to be righteous. Same thing happened to Martin Luther King. After they murdered Edgar, Medgar Evers, they made him the face of the, the movement, the civil rights movement, integration. He, he was out of Atlanta, he had that large following. And, you know, he was, he was a great public speaker. He, was, he had charisma. The whole purpose of the boule Sigma Pi Phi, whatever you want to call them, was specifically to keep our people from joining the Nation of Islam. And just so you know, I have no affiliations to any of these organizations. It's not promotion at all. I'm just giving you history. They, the black nationalism movement was a problem for the U.S. government because they were pushing this integration, because they were pushing the concept of equality. And so when you fast forward 
You, know, you see all the I dream I have a dream speeches and you fast forward to the Civil Rights Act of 64 and you go and you look at that picture and you see Martin Luther King standing behind President Lyndon B. Johnson signing that bill, that fake ass bill that we thought sealed our, our equality. And then 65, when they lifted the, the voters' uh, rights so people in the Jim Crow South could vote, so we could turn around and, and vote Democratic for the next 55 years, which has done absolutely nothing for us. And you see how prior to all of that, Malcolm told him, go look up, there's a book that I own, but go look up the, the ballot versus the bullet. Go look up that speech. Go read is that is that the one when he was like only when he was talking about how your enemies educate your children? Is that that same speech? Uh, he talked about a little bit in that a little bit, but that particular speech was uh, very important because it was um, I want to say he had it either late 63 or 64 election year. And this is when he was you know, going on that uh, that tour at, at uh, major white college campuses and he was debating all of these scholarly white people and the the coons that they selected to debate them, and he would literally destroy these people. A lot of the stuff that you've probably seen reposted on Instagram last year up and towards the election, but he had the same message. Any leader that is given to you by white people on a ma- on a massive scale are subsidized by white people. They are not for you. It's the same thing with these artists. Same thing with these athletes. It's the same playbook. Nothing has changed. The only thing that's changed is the evolution of technology. We They didn't have Instagram then. They didn't have social media 24 hours. The smartphones on your hip all day, every day. That's the only thing that's changed. The coon energy has been the same. Yeah, man, but indeed, I already... Uh- uh, like I witnessed that myself um, coming up. It's in my DNA to to like to you know to follow truth and um like me growing up, music was big for me. So you know my cousins used to DJ. Um, I grew up in the heart of Brooklyn, so my cousin was a big DJ, Iceberg um, and Flatbush. So you know, like I'm West Indian, so we used to have reggae parties, but hip hop was big. Yeah, big up to the big up to the. It was in the twenties, East Twenty First between Dittmas and Newkirk, oh, Brownsville though. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's over there. That's that's on the other side. That's, that's yeah, that's in the nineties. Yeah, nineties, <laughs> nineties. I got family in the nineties too, over there by on Lennox and shit. Ninety second, ninety third, over there. So I know all that Utica and shit. But long story short, I was big into music, bro, and um, I got into producing and making beats and. You know that whole vibe. Still, 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 you know a thing or two, but uh, engineering everything about music, I was into it. So that whole thing about Diddy and Puff, I was young coming up, but it's it's a funny thing because back then, even as a youth, we were we were we was absorbing it all. So like, for example, this is like this songs from back in the '90s that we could spit word for word, and I was I was literally like three years old, four years old, and I could spit it word for word. Like I remember, I remember those times. It was so real. It was so authentic. Um, and now, like I see, 
I don't know, I was talking about this with somebody, but I see like a, a, a warping reality where it went from TV um, emulating what was what was real going on outside. Like when we watch Boys in the Hood, when we watch those movies, there was something so real about that shit because it was really fucking happening when we, during those times in 92 and 93. Niggas drive-bys was happening. White people was shook of black people. Like, fear. <laughs> it was one in their house grabbing their purses and shit like that. It was no gentrification. The hood was the hood, and it was over there. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Oh, my. Give me a... Yes. So, boom. So, like, the, the, the TV was, like, literally replicating what was going on. The drug the drug era, because it was real. Um, And then, like, the 2000s, it started to get um, you know, glamorized. Like you said, Diddy came in and they started to, you know, take that, take that. They started to do million dollar videos and instead of being like Ghostface Killer, you know, Ghostface Killer, that, that one song where you talking about plucking plucking roaches off the cereal box. I remember when videos used to look like that. I used to watch videos. I was young and they used to be on video music box or some shit like that with Bobby Simmons. And that's what I was watching in New York. But the videos took a whole different turn and Everything was about the, you know, glamour. Like how, you know, how to bling, make, bling, bling, bling. Yeah, it just started to change. It was all about flossing. America high videos. Yeah, it wasn't. It was no longer about the struggle and coming up and 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 you know, Hype Williams, Middle X, and all of that. It was a motion picture production. Yeah, it was. It was. It was different. Hell yeah. Bro. So who was doing the movies? That was Hype Williams too. Or yeah, he did. Uh, Barry yeah, that was Hype. Yeah, like, like it was, it was just a, it was just a, it was a feel. Whoever, who was doing, um, like, like set it off and, and all those movies too. Uh, John Singleton, John Singleton, like Gary Gray, all that, all that. Oh that yeah, Gary Gray, all of was fucking crazy, bro. Like growing up in that era, it was, it was dope. Benny That's Boom, all I could say we were sampling, we were sampling from the seventies and the, and the, and the, you know, like I, I grew up in all of that. So, um. Like the '70s was a dope era, you know. My cousins was watching fucking, you know, the black, black, the the um, black exploitation movies and shit. I'm little watching them shits too. Um, but we got people. I'm gonna get you something because we were like, where they get all this from? And then that made the older people were like, yo, they they parody this movie. And then they were like, well, let me see. Then I saw the movie with yeah, and that's what like this. That's the only thing that's missing from this generation. They do not care. About what happened before. That's real. Like, I was looking at. I was. Looking uh, at, um, I disagree with that respectfully. But I'll wait for you to finish content. That's peace. No, no, no. I, I, I'm just saying, as far as um, um, they they don't pay as much homage as as the the the, the as we used to. I don't think. But in the in the um, or maybe that's coming back. But there was one part of the part where. It was just the 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 older generation, the new generation was not meshing. But I'm gonna get there. Um, so like when the when the when the fucking when they started to switch, they started to do some type of juju. The the Hollywood, you know, they started to do some juju where instead of making TV emulate reality, they started making us emulate what's on TV. 
So mm. yeah, talk up, yo. I just was talking about that. Go ahead, though, guys. So I just was, was talking like, about. That. It was like, boom. So it was the ever like I'm. I'm I, I just I just remember how it felt like the feeling, and I'm 33 years old. It was three. It's three f- decades, right? So the, the first decade I was here, it was like it was lit. It was like live. It was real. You know, I came up on crisscross, make you jump. Like you know, it was it was. It was live. I was young and it was, you know, hip, nigga MC Hammer, all that shit was fucking fly. So that means you was born in, what, 88? 88. Oh, 88. man, that is like an epic year for Yo, hip-hop. 88, man. So, nigga, it was just, it was just, everything was just real. Like, you know, you had that bop, that, that, with your hand going up in the air and just that, that, you know, it was just dope. Um, everything was real, authentic. You had the baggy ass pants and the fucking and the and the hats with the cutout on the top. Niggas had dreads and gold teeth. Motherfuckers was scared of black people, bro. Then we go to like the the, the when I'm in middle school, the 2000 era. You know, it was it was okay. Niggas was gangster, but niggas started to get a little pretty and shit. Motherfuckers wanted to get pretty. Then you had Cameron coming out. Motherfuckers wanted to get pretty. I I remember that shit. Well, niggas can't look good, conscious you mad? Nah, I'm not saying that. Because, because, I'm not saying people can't look Damn, good. Damn, conscious. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not saying people can't look good, but it's a, it was a, so, the era that, that, from the, from the 70s, that, that was dope to me, dope as fuck, and I'm kind of taking it back, but I'm going, I'm, I'm doing a little hip-hop shit, for real, I'm really hip-hopping. So, the 70s that was dope was the, was like the, the Curtis Mayfields and the, and the Bobby Womacks and the, the pimp that, that pimp shit, you know, they was talking about the drugs, and but they had a they had a slick ass swag with them, right? It was, it was poetic, right it there. Was, like it was just dope. Head. They was talking about their ladies, and they wasn't they wasn't they you know it was it was cool to be smooth and shit. Yeah, it was cool to be smooth. When when it when when it came to being fly in the two thousands, it was like a tacky fly, like a. It was a tacky fly, a clown fly. No, no, like it's like when when Malcolm X in the book was talking about the zoot suits, you know, like the zoot suits was you know wiping, you know, it 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 was our own, it is our own style. And I'm not saying I'm not clowning it, but it was it like ain't nobody wearing no big ass pink shit no more. Like who, who you know, we not. <laughs> but long story short, the 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 whole vibe started to change where. You know, reality TV, real world road rules, and you know, people started to like what was on TV more than what was on. That's that's when it kind of switched. Where we started to like, you know, what they was doing on TV, you know, and that reality, that whole reality TV shit kicked in, where TV was reality and and. Everybody wanted to do what was on TV. So you're trying to go out and club like how they club and then you're trying to turn up like how they turning up. You thinking that shit is every fucking day. You thinking what they doing in the videos it was every day because they showing it constantly. You seeing you seeing them in the clubs every day on BT. So everybody trying to turn up every day. The videos from the nineties, you were seeing them niggas in the house walking outside, like you know, and that was reality. You get what I'm saying? So when we started to emulate what was coming, you know, popping bottles all the time and trying to turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up. That's where we, you know, 
the 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 Mali and the and the you know that's when the average started to switch where the drugs was okay like it's lit now we doing that shit like hard 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 like like it's it's really okay because that ninety era niggas was staying niggas was trying to stay away from that shit we was trying to come up and out of the, uh, doing all that crackhead shit because niggas had moms that was crackheads and and they ain't want that no more. They ain't, they hey, real know. quick, conscious of thing. I, I hate to cut you off, Megan. You okay, my fault. Oh, right, no, no, you good. Uh, I gotta. Uh, so this is what's gonna happen. Uh, I'm gonna uh, close out the show. So go ahead, Cindy, roll that. We at Sovereign Creed are dedicated to the nurturing, preserving, and protecting of the Aboriginal American family. We are aligned with the customs and beliefs practiced by our indigenous American ancestors and will continue to ensure that their legacy lives on with everything that we do. Thank you for tuning in to the Sovereign Creed show. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sovereign Creed. And definitely check out our website, www.sovereigncreed.shop, to purchase our line of provocative apparel. I want to give a special thanks to our guests, Ja Bricks and P.D. Weestraw, for joining us today. Shout out to our producer, Cindy Ashby, for making this possible. If you haven't done so already, make sure you go sign up for www.otwtube.com so you can join our community of melanated aboriginal content creators where your voice can be heard and you never have to worry about censorship tune in for the next episode on wednesday september 22nd at 5 p.m eastern time 4 p.m central as we discuss tribal agriculture we don't just discuss the problems we offer the solutions i'm your host J.I. Lee Shiomaru, and this is on the Wake Up Radio. And uh, before we go, thank you, my producer. Just let me know. Uh, Job Bricks and P.D. Weestraw, if you could please uh, give the audience, uh, let them know how we can find your music before we wrap up. Yeah, so uh, this is Job Bricks checking in. Appreciate you, God. Appreciate the bill. Appreciate the energy. You can uh, follow me on Instagram at jobbricks underscore. And you can also tap into my music. I'm on all streaming platforms. You know what I'm saying? And that's about it, man. Peace to the gods. Look it up. Flawed individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, D.N. Cindy Ashby Production. On the wake up. Hey, you're Rima Karama here with a quick infomercial. And I have a question for you. Are you tired of social media outlets that block real content? I mean, are you tired of your favorite internet truth teller getting blocked or put in Fedbook jail? Tired of making a comment and the algorithm quickly deems your comment to be offensive and takes it down? I mean, are you tired of making a post and a fact check pops up, making it look like your info isn't accurate, and then it turns out that the fact check is actually the lie? Are you tired of seeing white people get by with racist commentary or post and they never get blocked, but unapologetically black truth tellers are always having their videos taken down? Tired of having to wait a month or seven days or 14 days for your favorite social media truth teller to get their page back up because white-owned social media outlet owners take their content down whenever they feel like it? Tired of black people getting on white-owned social media outlets and finding out that the outlet is making billions of dollars, but... You don't get one red cent of that money? Well, if you're really tired, then you should do as I did and make the switch. Yeah, 
come on over to otwtube.com where your content and comments are actually accepted. Also, get the Urema Karam app where you can stay up to date on real truth that lamestream media intentionally hides from you. Come on over to sites that accept you being unapologetically black. I mean, come on over to sites that love you being free to express yourself. This is why I took my aboriginal indigenous melanated ass on over to OTWTube because I recognize the importance of freedom of speech. I recognize that I would be doing my ancestors a tremendous disservice if I stayed a slave on social media outlets that want to dictate what I say and when I can actually say it. If you're tired like I am, then make the switch now to OTWTube.com and get the Yurima Karama app. Tap into the truth because that's what you deserve. I am Yurima Karama, and I approve this message.